Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. What's happening, weirdos? The uh, the amazing return of Medium Soup himself, Moshe Kasher, who uh, is about to have a new uh, talk show coming out on Comedy Central. I'm so thrilled for him. Uh, he's also involved in many other wonderful projects that we d- we discuss here. Racist Stephen Hawking. God, is there anybody better than Moshe? Uh, we we recorded this one a little while ago. Um, it's before the election. I- I'm pretty sure, like most podcasts, we don't we don't really talk about uh, political things. But if we do. Please, obviously, uh, this was recorded before anybody uh, knew who was going to win or anything like that. So this is a little bit dated if we do get there. I honestly don't remember. But I do remember it being a, a real hoot and a holler. So let's get to it as quickly as possible, as I always say, and then ramble on and on and on here. Uh, it is the, uh, the, old, the old holiday season. So if you want uh, some of the T-shirts uh, that we've made on this podcast, they're all at PeteHolmes.com. Uh, people have been going nuts for not feeling it lately. Uh, that is available. That is a personal favorite of mine. But the other ones are all up there, too. PD is my homeboy, Piano Keys, uh, the wolf from Fantastic Mr. Fox, the boat from Truman Show. Some really great things. Shirts that I personally wear and love are available. So get one of those for your favorite weirdo at PeteHolmes.com. It might say that the campaign needs to, like, tip or something. In my experience with Teespring, if you order it, uh, you're going to get it. So I I wouldn't worry too much about it, especially if it's one of the uh, ones that I just mentioned, the more popular ones there. Um, Also, there's going to be shows here in Los Angeles at Largo. Go to Largo-LA.com for info on those. We do that every month here in LA, and it's always super fun. And we have our uh, wonderful sponsor, which is Squarespace. This podcast, this episode, this show, it's sponsored sponsored, uh, by our wonderful friends at Squarespace. If you guys need a website, a simple landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. This is really great. You probably need one for your business. You might need one for your private life. Who knows what you're up to? But these days, almost everybody needs a website. So do it the easy way with Squarespace, making it even easier. You can start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code WEIRD to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, set your website apart. We have another uh, sponsor here, uh, a short one here, quick one, a little quick one. Uh, new though, and I appreciate it. It's for Magic Puzzle Quest. I don't know if you guys know about the new Magic game, but it is a mobile game based on the trending, trending. <laughs> Sorry. It's a mobile game based on the trading card game, Magic the Gathering. Um, and now this one's Magic the Gathering Puzzle Quest. It brings together the classic card game with the original Match 3 RPG. The latest update includes all new Eldritch Moon cards. Get excited for the Eldritch Moon cards, you Magic fans. And the coalitions allow players to play with friends, chat to strategize, and get group rewards in challenges. The game is available on both the Apple App Store for iPhone and iPad and Google Play. So check it out. Get magical, you weird weirdos. I'm into it. Come on, JCAF. LHS, that's my high school. Getting JCAF, get some magic going. That's what we were about. Now you can do it on your phone. All right, thank you, Squarespace. Thank you, Magic. Guys, enjoy the wonderful Moshi Kasher, Moshi Koshi. Always happy to have him on. Get into it.
Old Moshi Koshi is the Moshiest Koshiest man in Moshi Koshi Galaxy. How's it going? How are you? What's happening? Nothing. How are you? Well, I'm good. (laughs) I feel a little weird today. Like, I woke up and I was just like, you know, Chelsea has that great bit about how the mail keeps coming. Uh-huh. I don't know what. She's like, there was this postal worker that was burning piles of mail. Uh-huh. Just piles and piles of, con- of obviously, consumer mail. Yeah. Not like tr- junk mail, but like you know, letters that people were sending. <laughs> and they caught him, and they said, why were you doing it? And he said, the- it just kept coming. <laughs> <laughs> She says, it's so funny. She goes, marry me, marry me. This guy gets it. Oh, that's funny. And, uh, you know, I, I, we're uh, happy fellas, but so every, every once in a while I wake up and I'm like, pants again? You know what I mean? I was just thinking about, we should press record. We Hello? are recording. Oh, we are? How many times have you done this podcast, Moshi? First of uh, all. What? I'm supposed to know that you press record before I arrive? It's a thing. <laughs> it's not something I'm aware of. Although, are you familiar? You, this is your third. In studio, yeah, I never I went. bet if we play the first two, you make the same comment <laughs> where you're like, "Oh, we're recording." Usually, at my fourth podcast appearance, I get into the <laughs> mechanics of how the podcast recording goes on. I shouldn't. Give I'm like, all right, it's four. It's time for. Let me switch to your engineer for I a few moments. Give you grief. You're right, and also you're so welcome, and I'm so happy to see you. Nice to see you too. I uh, I have a couple thoughts on this yeah. recording. First of all, have you heard about Alan Funt? If you don't want to tell us his real name, don't make it. No, Alan Funt from (laughs) Candid Camera. That's a real person. Alan Funt. To be fair, it probably was like Alan Finkowitz. Right. And he changed his name. But he was like, that's embarrassing. People will know I'm Jewish. (laughs) Call me Funt. Funt. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever heard um, Eddie Izzard's bit about Ingelbert Humperdinck? Eddie Izzard? Is that how we're saying it now? Eddie Izzard? I don't know. Isn't it Izzard? I think you're right. And like, if you're in Belfast or something, like if you're in, you know, Europe, I think you're supposed to say Izzard probably. If he's performing in French, it's Izzard. Anyway, he says it's a a great bit. He's like, how did they, that's a stage name. Do you know this bit? Engelbert Humberdink is a stage name. And Engel, like, no. And how did they come up? I don't. I'm not going to do the bit, but justice. But it's, how did they come up with that? It's like uh, flip up, slap back. No. Uh, no. No. Engelbert Humperdink. No. Shikabat Bumbada. No. Wait. Go back one. Engelbert Humperdink. Yeah. Engelbert Humperdink. But Alan Funt. Alan Funt is Candid Camera? So he started Candid Camera, and before he did Candid Camera on camera, it, he was doing a... All cameras are candid. None of them are, like, gabbing about their life stories. <laughs> Private camera. <laughs> <laughs> um, me and my brother, can I interrupt? Me and my brother used to watch Candid Camera, and whenever they would reveal... It was probably, like, the ninth reboot, because we were, like, ten. And whenever they would reveal, the person that was being pranked never knew the name of the show. And they're trying to get them to be like, you're on Candid Camera! And they're like, look over there! And they go... Completely concealed camera? <laughs> That's a bit we've had our entire lives. Like, if I texted my brother, Candid Camera, he'd reply, completely concealed camera. I would. I could text my brother, um, eat my hair, and he would text back, no. And it's a bit based on a bastardization of a scene from the movie Bloodsport, Jean-Claude Van Damme's Bloodsport. Okay. 
but I don't remember. Does he say eat my hair in it? No. I'm fascinated when things go like off, off the tracks, meaning like you remember it a certain way. It's not that way, but you still say it that way. Yeah, exactly. There's a there's a scene where he breaks into the old Asian man's house. And the guy's like, he, the guy catches him, this old Asian guy, and he's like, he's Asian, just to clarify. Like <laughs> you said Asian. Well, his ah. race is Asian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, his skin is the color of an Asian man's skin. Where are skin. you from? Can I just say, no one feels good in that situation. <laughs> what are you is a good one. What are you? Yeah. But then you could get like a... No, that's worse, I'm saying. That's oh, worse. yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you? What are you? Yeah. I'm a human, goddammit. But my dad's like, uh, where are you from? Brooklyn. No, you know what I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> get to Haiti. Like, he wants to know. But it's it's gross. But they don't ask white people, I guess. is the That's idea. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Nobody goes, where's your lineage? Hey, where are you from? Hey. Oh, I'm white. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's like, uh, hey, where are you from? I just got tanned. I'm actually a white person. Okay, cool. I, was, okay. <laughs> I got so tanned, people were asking me my lineage. <laughs> That's a white privilege you don't hear about. No one t- asking you from where you hail. I got. I want to talk about white privilege. You want to talk about it? Yeah, but first I want to talk about Alan Funt. Yeah, yeah I <laughs> and, wrote down and Funt. completely concealed camera. <laughs> Complete. This is how easy to do it. Completely concealed camera because they're looking for like a grab moment for like the real. You know what I mean? Candid camera, but I, they'd always be like, not quite obvious recording device. Hidden area of where the aperture is. <laughs> Aperture, good pull. <laughs> I liked it. Iris would all Iris Aperture. Judd Apatow's daughter is named Iris Apatow. Iris Aperture. Camera terms. Oh man, what? How did nobody put this together before? <laughs> it's like you, your motion capture. <laughs> right. I actually finally motion capture. I actually finally took that to the its, its to the fur, bank. furthest iteration mm. and did a bit in a motion capture suit about Moshe Kasher, motion capture master, for the television program at midnight. No way, really? Yeah. Well, it was, it's fun. actually very funny. I, you know, it's I, much I like better it. than bringing to life Hannibal Burris' animal furnace. <laughs> this <laughs> one's for, for Comedy Central. Just a burning animal house. Nobody wants Well, that. Hannibal just, that was an association he made. You mean, no, I haven't heard the bit. I mean, there's no such thing furnace. as an animal furnace. That's not it's a like thing. It's like Nick Thune, Thick Noon. Nobody called him Thick Noon. Right. They called him Thick Dick Thune. They called him Big Old Swingin' Thick Dick Thick Nick Dick Noon. Thick Dick Thune. Fig Thuntons. Uh, yeah, they would eat at, at, at thick noon. There would be recess, and they would eat thick Newton. Think thick Newtons. Fig Newtons. Fig Newtons. Yeah, that was a classic Tig thing. Newton. Tig Newtons. <laughs> Did I tell you I'm actually Why tweeting for Tig this week? You gotta, you no, gotta take out kidding. your phone right now I'm and tweet Tig Newtons. No, I. If I was uh, anyway, she kind of like a classic fig newton like it's delicious she's it's, delicious it's subtle you know there's something understated about the fig newton right it's got you know a streaming show on amazon <laughs> yes. called, called one figasippi one figasippi <laughs> you guys it's been great to be back <laughs> i'm driving over here the whole time i'm thinking i gotta live up to medium soup i i, I gotta live up to high to racist stephen hawking so many bits <laughs> Yes. Big Mississippi, motherfucker! Welcome to the future! Big Mississippi! Didn't you just change it? It was yes. one Mississippi! You changed it! One Mississippi, I'm sorry. Big Mississippi! <laughs> no, it just becomes like one Mississippi fig. One fig in Mississippi. <laughs> not even connected. 
nobody needs the fig. It's the scrotum of the fruit world. I, I don't love figs, it but I like, like a, fig, a fig Newton. You do like a Fig Newton. But I don't like a fig. I used to, you know, when the commercial for the Fig Newton was breaking it apart, and then it was like, you can put it back together. That was very appealing to me. You wanted to put it back together. I wanted to, like, do you remember the time in your life when Adver- maybe you didn't have it? I did, where if there was something demonstrated with a product, it was like, you can do this. I was like, I got to see if that's true. Like a uh, the wine glass test on the Tempur-Pedic method. Exactly, but I wouldn't it? do that. No, I would never do that. I would never do that. No, I don't want to waste that wine, baby. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm addicted to alcohol. Started drinking recently. You did? No, I didn't. (laughs) Been thinking about it. I have been thinking about it. Really? Yeah, but I don't think I will. Going back to the booze? Just today, I won't. Just for today. Just for today, what? No, I'm. I'm still not. I'm still not drinking. But yeah, you're an alcoholic. Am I? How long has it been? It's been twenty. Take me through. It's been twenty-two. Twenty-two years. Twenty-two years of no boozing. Yeah. Okay. And uh, but you're thinking maybe you were just a foolhardy child. I mean, I would say that the odds are at a ninety in the ninetieth percentile. Is that right, math? I whenever people are like, "What's the over under on Moshe right. B?" I'm like, "He is." Wait, people have this conversation. <laughs> no, no, you no. Joey Coco Diaz. <laughs> What's the over under on Moshe's real alcoholism? <laughs> but whenever people say that, Sammy Potatoes. Why are we talking about hey, this? Put down the fig Newtons, guys. Sammy, I thought you were here to take some of the jig, the jig, the, <laughs> the vig, the vig on my. Oh my! You made it weird money. Not that'd be, be cool. That'd be cool if you were if, if you were getting um if you were getting extorted by the mafia for fig your Newtons. for your you made it weird money. Fig Newtons. Hey, I heard the fig Newton bit. It's good stuff. Ten percent. We go for your kneecaps. It's Rob Bell though. I don't know why. <laughs> Rob is Rob is in the mafia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> That's yeah. such a long con. <laughs> that is a very long con. <clears throat> so I'm interested. I also have to say, because this is being recorded, I feel obliged to be like, Moshe, don't do it. Oh. If we were just having lunch, I'd be like, how interesting. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Wait, why am I even talking about it? But like, if you start drinking, if you do the Tempur-Pedic mattress test with Natasha. And, and then, then you, and then it falls. You, it falls like, oh, I guess that Tempur-Pedic mattress wasn't as good as we thought, honey. Could you go to the other room really quickly and grab a towel to sop this up? And she's like, sure. And then I close the door and I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> you picture that, what? <laughs> right. That is rock bottom. <laughs> That is, I I will give you $100,000 if you go to AA, and when it's your turn to share, you say, I knew I hit my bottom when I did the Tempur-Pedic wine test. (laughs) It spilled, and I sucked it out. You know that I don't have to drink to go to AA and say that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I I just made a cool 100K. (laughs) No, I'm saying you've earned every penny. And I'll give you uh, more if other people admit that they've also done that. Shall I tell you? Shall I tell you the, some of the craziest stuff I ever heard in AA about the way people would... Isn't the, that a huge betrayal? I guess we no, don't know who they are. It's anonymous still. Yeah. <laughs> a guy... I remember a guy talking about how he would spray hairspray into the soft palate of his mouth because he couldn't... His esophageal lining had, like, decayed to such a degree that he couldn't keep alcohol down. And so he would spray the hairspray into his the roof of his mouth. And it really makes you think those people that drink mouthwash are a bunch of hacks. You know what I mean? <laughs> like this guy's from the <laughs> that future. That guy's taking it to the next, that next level. Here's how my brain works. I, I don't know if you mean he sprayed it to get the alcohol that's in hairspray. Is yes, that, that's, that's correct. That and was it was my such first a, guess. My second guess, though, was that he was coating his throat with hairspray. That's kind of cool, too. That he could too. get it down. Like and then, he drank heavy cream and then took a shot. There was an even more... Da- that's what Kahlua is. Is, is, is. <laughs> Having a hard time with the horrible taste of alcohol. Um, 
Harry Carey. Kahlua. Um, it's the breakfast liquor. I knew a guy who switched to GHB. What that altogether because GHB he was, is GHB is a drug. It's a rave drug that makes you feel drunk. Apparently, I've never done it, oh. but if you do it with alcohol, you will shit your pants and overdose. Guaranteed? Pretty much guaranteed. So it's not. a pill that makes you feel drunk. It's actually a liquid. It's a liquid. Yeah, it's, it's just alcohol. It's not. <laughs> Take it's not GHB, man. Because That's a cap full, a cap full of it will get you get you there. Drunk. Whatever they say is similar to drunk. I've never done it. You know what's interesting is I would be like, oh, I would never do that. But I do drink alcohol. Right. But and alcohol is poison. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't snort something. Never? Like, I've never snorted anything. And I wouldn't. I think it's like like maybe it's conditioning, programming. I'm like, that's hard shit. Don't do that shit. And I actually, to be honest, I think I'm right. Like, stay away from that stuff. Well, Natasha says. But I did take uh, an Adderall. Is that? Oh, I see. I'd rather you snort ecstasy than ingest Adderall. I took an Adderall. It was years and years ago. You're going to get some emails right now, people saying. What do you mean? It's the same thing. They're all amphetamines. No, I, no I'm saying it's the same thing. Yeah. I yeah. watched the night before. The night the, of. I watched the night before, I, which is a prequel to it, and it's just about a kid, a nice Pakistani kid. It's a boring show. Very boring. He's not interesting. He really gets cooking the night of, though, when he murders that white woman. You think he did it? Uh, that's a good question. Did you we think- figure out that he didn't do it? I guess we did, right? No, in a beautiful way, they leave it open. Right, right. Because he's throwing people down the stairs. Right, <laughs> right. He's getting fucking neck tattoos. Kid's got some darkness. I didn't figure out that he was called Sinbad because he was Arab until like a month after, or because he was Pakistani until like a month after the show. Wait, I don't think that's true. It is true. It's because The Wire, Scar, Wire. The Wire, o- Omar. Omar, Omar mm-hmm. from The Wire. Scar from The Lion King. <laughs> what if he voiced He was in Scar? that. No, no. I'm saying the character Scar from The Lion King was in that prison. That was the subtext of everything, I felt like. You know what I mean? A lot of Disney villains were in that prison as well. It's called Matata. It means worries. Oh, my God. Thank you, guys. You think Akuna means no. <laughs> So the show we're here to pitch is one fig sippy, Matata. Matata, no, thank you. Akuna. Oh, damn it. I did, the bit, I did the thing with the bit that I did with the earlier bit. Oh, man, I can't You're get track. jumbled. You're jumbled. I love it. I'm jumbled today, too. Akuna. 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 That's a scene of a movie where a guy goes to Africa, assumes Akuna means no, Matata means worries, and just goes around like, Akuna. 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 And then he's anxious and goes, Matata. Worries. No, he goes, they go, do you want to have unprotected? Sex and they go. He goes uh, Hakuna. He goes why Matata? <laughs> Matata. AIDS Matata. But they're speaking English. They're in, they're in South Africa. He said why? <laughs> in a per- why? With no accent. <laughs> no accent. English. Why? I'm your wife. Matata. But we're on a vacation in South Africa. Matata. Matata. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. What were we saying? I think we were talking about... 
Uh, Alcoholism, GHB, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alan Funt. Oh, my point was I wouldn't snort something, but then oh. I'm calling bullshit on myself. This was over five, six years ago that I did this. I, I, somebody gave me a Adderall because they were like, it'll help you party longer. And I didn't know anything about it. To be honest, it was probably a .05. It was like a tiny, tiny thing. I don't mean to be defensive. I'm just telling the truth. It was a very small dose. Didn't notice at all. Like, you didn't notice it. I didn't notice it at all. Um, I, I think that I would say that. But if someone was like, take a key bump. I'd be like, what are you, crazy? Crockett's waiting outside. Like, I would think it's a danger. It is. Do people say key bump? Key bump. Key bump? Yeah, key bump. A little, bump off a key? little bump of cocaine make you feel not so strange. I mean, I know what cocaine is and what bumps are, but a key bump, is that a key thing? Bump. If it's key on bump? a key, it's a key bump. It's got to be a key bump. If, if it's off a key, it's if a it's key on a, bump. Oh, yep, sure. <laughs> and if it's the front of a key, it's a key bumper. <laughs> it is. You can't deny that. One key sippy. <laughs> Matata. Or, or Hakuna. One of the two. Would you like a Kia? Uh, Hakata. Uh, Hakata. 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 That means Nori's. Hakata. <laughs> Nori's. By the way, Akuna Matata is too many sounds to mean no worries. Akuna You're saying, Matata. There's like, it no should way be that, Akuna. There's no way that no could be either Hakuna or Matata. You know, like, Akuna means whatever the next thing I'm saying, it means the opposite. I wonder if Hakuna Matata means any, if, is real at all. It's gotta Stats, be. Stats has gotta look it. Gotta up. be. I want a literal translation. There's of no way Matata. people over at Disney Corp were like, "We need some gibberish African <laughs> nonsense sounding words." There's no way. I can't believe that. <laughs> like a subtle racism from the big man himself. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? It's Swahili. 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 For. No worries. Can no. you look up the words "no" and "worries" in Swahili? And let's fact check the bit. <laughs> You're tuning in to fact check the bit, the most boring conversation no, in comedy. It's very interesting, and I'm also very interested in you. You're always. I feel like whenever I'm with you, like we went out and tried to eat a vegan meal, and you're like, "This has butter in it." Like you're you're kind of blurring your line. Oh, I'm not a vegan. You're not I anymore. I never have been a vegan. I thought you were a vegan. No, no. I I, I very vividly remember you going. I was like, "You you don't eat meat," and you're like, "No, for health reasons." I think meat is right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm starting to think said. meat is wrong. Oh, why? For environmental reasons. I'm starting to think there's no justification okay. for me. So I do this bit. It does not work. Mm. I tried it last two nights. Maybe it was last night. Two nights ago at Largo. Um, and I go, there's this billboard on my way to work that says, eat every egg you buy. Throwing away one egg wastes 55 gallons of water. Right? Because uh-huh. it takes 55 gallons of water to produce one egg. Right. And I, the bit was, I go, why doesn't that sign say, don't eat eggs? <laughs> like, it's yeah. not worth that You would never order a 150-gallon water omelet. The problem, Gallon water. <laughs> the problem with all of those is... How bad do you need vagina goo? Chicken <laughs> vagina goo. <laughs> the only time I can see an argument for an egg is a cupcake or a brownie. But I would eat a sneeze if you mix it with chocolate Sugar and flour. I would eat a sneeze. And that's basically what an egg is. It's just a downstairs chicken leg sneeze. Wow. <laughs> oh, and this bit doesn't work? That I haven't I didn't say anything. You of gotta those do parts. that John, downstairs chicken Hakata bit bit. <laughs> Kia, baby. Alan Funt. We You're are tuned in to camera camera. We are in a stew. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> we are in a stew. Every bit we've done. <laughs> we can't escape. Somewhat accessible, but not quite. Like camera camera was just enough to help me remember candid camera. Akuna Eddie Izzard. We're a mess. Izzard. Wait, I, I was gonna mess. say the problem with that water water logic water logic is that everything takes so much water well yes 
eat everything. Almonds take a fuck ton of water. Almonds take a lot of water. I heard but- some staggering uh, thing about, like, in California specifically, almonds are taking a shit ton of water. But quarter pound of cheese, I believe it's 6,000 gallons of water. Well, yeah. Well, let me tell you that 6, I— 6,000! I had the, the JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratories, satellite analysis water expert on my podcast. Is this true? It is true. Remember okay, the podcast? You, you've done the podcast. What, don't tell me what it's called. Hound Tall. Hound Tall. That, like a tall dog. Like a tall hound. That's kind of like the thick noon of, of It kind of is. I, you know, I, that one came to me in a dream, and I thought it would be obvious hound that, tall. that it was like Town Hall. Yeah. And uh, it's a, there's a word for it. I don't know what the word is, where you mix up a... There's a word. People told me about it. They'll email you about this. A jumbly? No, it's not a jumbly. An American jumbly? Yeah, it's an American jumbly. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't, I knew it wasn't a jumbly. But it was an American jumbo. But when you swap the When first you kind of do that, that kind of nonsense. So Thick Noon is one of those. It is. I can't remember what the word is. but uh, When you swap the I, – I don't think it's called the prefix. It's, it's just the first part of a word. I think it's a playful linguistic game that people play. But I don't know. Prefix. You got the word? Spoonerism. 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 That's what it's called. It's funny. Prefix is the beginning of a word. Prefix is when you don't get to decide what you're having for dessert. <laughs> Fig Newtons. <laughs> My friend, traveling through time. <laughs> I have never been stoned with you. I have to imagine it would be the funniest thing in the world. Then you should convince me that I should start getting high, because that's where we started. Yes, I want to talk about this. I'm I'm down. So I got sober when I was 15 years old. Yep. And if you uh, Cashier in the Rye. Oh yeah, Cashier in the Rye. A delightful book. I still. I'm going to say it's at least once a month. I I shake my head at the idea that you had that. You have this amazing show idea. Bidding war, people wanted to make it, then it just goes away. I, I can't stand it. it. It bothers me to this day also. I can't stand it. Yeah. Well, tell us, you wrote a pilot based on Cashier in the Rye. So I wrote a book. And did a bunch of people want it? Yeah, so I wrote a book, Cashier in the Rye, the true tale of a white boy from Oakland who became a drug addict, criminal, mental patient, and then turned 16. And I wrote this... Uh, this this it's yeah a solid I, I, title. it's a solid title it's a yeah and if anybody listening hasn't bought the book it's on Amazon and it's the thing I'm the most proud of in the world yeah no doubt about it that's um, great other than of course the riff fig <laughs> fa- <laughs> one fig a sippy one fig a sippy what was it can I can I go sidebar yeah what was your process when you were writing the book did you get up every morning and write in the morning I would get up I would I had a rule for myself to write two pages a day. Okay. And I figured if I wrote two pages a day, then I would be done in like, you know, six months. And if I didn't write two pages in a day, then I would write four the next, right? Okay. So if I somehow fell short of my stated goal, I would write four pages the next day. made it like a game. Yeah. And did felt, you do it? Oh, sorry. It just felt very digestible. It felt very simple to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to break your goal into like these little nibbles that don't even look like what you're trying to do. Exactly. You're just trying to write two pages. Because a book is not... I'm trying to write a book. book I've been trying a, for a daunting. while. It's it's daunting stuff. Well, I will also say an interesting thing about the process of writing a book. I have a lot of thoughts about that. I would love to hear it. Are I'm you gonna, writing a memoir? No, it's like a spiritual memoir. It's only my thoughts on religion through my life. So if it's a thought thing, that's a little different. But Well, no, a it's not. Thing? Like a... Basically, what I one of the things I was most struck with in writing my book was that uh, you have so many more memories accessible to you than you're aware of. You, yeah, you just have to look for them. You just have to turn your focus to the your memory area, in. and things will start to come up that you're like, I didn't know I remembered There's that. There's a dormant library of memories. It's so weird. That is weird. I'd, and you don't have any of them because they're not useful to your conscious mind. Right, 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 right. But the moment you go in there, it's not like if you hear gunshots, duck. You need that one. 
There's, exactly. There's, it's like your favorites in your exactly. contacts. And there's a... Gunshots, dog. Yeah. What <laughs> are your favorites? Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, man walking behind you fast, you speed up. Yeah. You know, that <laughs> yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, if you're a woman, man around you in any way, yeah, 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 t- yeah. take a look. Yeah, yeah. Take a note. Take yeah. a note. Make, take a, wolver- a, note. make take a, a Wolverine key. Take a note. Yeah. I was just walking in. I had to walk in the front, and the woman was on the phone, and she's like, how can I trust you? You're a man born on Earth. That's what she was saying. A fair-ass question. And then she was like, I believe in Jesus Christ. That's why I don't lie. It was the funniest conversation I've ever heard in my life. There's nobody on the other line. (laughs) Ma'am, I'm trying to tell you that you owe over $600 in blockbuster fees. You're a liar because you're a man. (laughs) I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, I don't see how Jesus is connected. Okay. What I'm saying is we are QR Capital. We bought the debt from Blockbuster Incorporated. Okay. Are we been co- did you hear that on NPR? I interrupted no. your bit. No, no. If a collection agency buys your debt. I did hear this. Magic words. What is the words again? Show me the proof. Oh, I thought it was, uh, oh, right. But if it's Cuba Gooding Jr. that calls about a Show debt. Me Show me the money. <laughs> <laughs> or his agent, I guess. So- something like that. You got to say, show me the money. Matata. Ooh, ee, ooh, fund. Ooh, ee, ooh. Was I really an alcoholic? Um, check out Amazon.com. Cash or in the rye. Um, ooh, ee, ooh, fig. <laughs> <laughs> what did you just say that made me die laughing so hard? It would just happen. Cuba Gooding Jr.? Yes. Show me the show me the funny. If it's you calling, that's what I'm gonna say. Show me the funny. Show me the funny. And you're gonna do that bit about the egg. And I'm gonna say, uh, show me the funny. That's what the audience said. I don't know why I'm coughing so much. That um, is so funny. So if someone buys your debt and calls you and you go to court, show up to court, you've already won. All you have to say is show me the evidence. Show me the proof. Show me the proof. Because when they buy it, they're buying your name off of a spreadsheet and, right. an, and an amount. They can't show you uh, an itemized what you owe visa. This is crazy. But, so a guy was doing this with a business, millions and millions of dollars. He'd always just go to court because no one goes to court. Fun fact for the day. Yeah. No one goes to court in any way, and that is actually one of the deepest cancers in our civil society. Not going to court? Is that people don't take their constitutionally protected right to a trial by jury. And the, and the entire criminal justice system is based on people taking plea bargains even when they haven't done a crime at all. And that's why our prisons are overflowing with basically legalized slaves. But anyway, back to my book. <laughs> oh, shit! But it's, it's true. I'm, it, but why I mean, are those people not going to court? Because they're scared? Because they're scared and they have reason, they have reason to be scared. Because, and they've been scared. They've well, been made scared. They ought to be scared. Because There's a guy with a mustache and he's like, look, I don't want Tony to come in here any more than you do. But look. <laughs> Sammy Potatoes? Wait. <laughs> weren't you just checking out Moshe's the bit vig. and getting the vig on You Made It Weird? I'm going to get the vig on this bit about getting uh, the vig. Okay, you go ahead. You go ahead, Potatoes. <laughs> but somebody comes in. There isn't a John Turturro to tell you you to take the case or what? Well, that's murder. When most of the time, the John Turturro will tell you take the plea bargain, which he in fact did do in in the, the night before. The ni- nope, the <laughs> night of the night before they hadn't met. Turturro was doing other stuff, but the night of, actually, the night after, Turturro came back. I was like, "Do you want to get a cup of coffee?" <laughs> that's that's true. the whole show. Yeah, and you'll see a guy who's not your friend anymore. Um, he's not your friend anymore. So basically, they come in, mm. and and the reason that they do this is because they can't handle it. They can't handle the truth. No, they can't handle trials. Who can't it, handle it? The, the system. system. If everybody, <laughs> yeah. If everybody who was accused of a crime immediately, starting now, said, "I will take my constitutionally protected right to trial by jury," the entire criminal justice system will collapse in three months. It's like if everybody tried to take their money out of the bank. 
that's on a, the same day. That's right. Except it's more dire than that because right. it it's the it's not money you're getting out. It's uh, people you're putting in. Right. right. Yeah. Right. And so and num- innumerable judges, courtrooms, juries. It's just it's huge. It's all a huge based undergoing. on this system that is dependent on people accepting their guilt without their constitution, uh, uh, eschewing and abrogating their uh, innocent until proven guilty status. Uh, it's very similar <laughs> to the logic of like you won the lottery. I'll give you fifty thousand a, a year for the rest of your life or you can have 1.8 million now. What would you take? I don't know. I think I think most people can see the appeal of like give me the lump sum cuz what if I get hit by a bus? I don't want that that sweet 50k. And I guess that investment bankers who are my uncles, grandfathers, uh cousins, uh, my mother, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. they're Jews. Yeah. Where say. do you hail from? Uh-huh. I'm from uh, JK. Uh Jew. Uh, so Gringotts. Jewish did, kidding. We did a we did a Gringotts bit the first time I was here, didn't we? Jewish kidding. Jew, what is Jewish kidding? I said JK. Where are you from? JK. Jewish, <laughs> Jewish kidding. <laughs> I see you're a German man. Where are you from? JK. Jewish killing. Oh no. <laughs> okay, so. Mm. Uh, so you know all these accountants that would say take the monthly. They say take the lump sum. Take the lump sum. Because you can get more money investing it than you can with the... But I would say show me the uh, monthly. <laughs> I think I would. <laughs> that was... I'm at a restaurant where they have these deep bowls, these heavy white bowls. And yeah. there's like a, a sugar cube and a chilled spoon and a couple capers on it. And they're like, this tastes exactly like a lox bagel. And I'm like, yeah, right. And I eat it, and it tastes like the best, best lox bagel I've ever had, like a reductionist restaurant. That's what that joke was. Did Show this... me the monthly. <laughs> was the filet of comedy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the lox bagel. It was a lox bagel on a chilled spoon. I actually know the restaurant your 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 mind's eye is taking. Is that right? Never been. Never it's been. bizarre in, S- in yeah. Los Angeles at the SLS That's Hotel. what it's called? They have a lox bagel deconstruction that really? tastes like a lox bagel. Yeah. Gotta gotta show me the locks. Show me the bagel. All right, <laughs> sorry. You know, you go to the well one too many times. Jerry McBagel. Uh, <laughs> starring Tom Bagel. <laughs> Cuba Gooding Bagel. <laughs> Directed by Paul Thomas Bagelson. That wasn't Paul Thomas Anderson. It's not? That was Cameron Crowe. Oh, he did the other one. There will Paul be Thomas Anderson, didn't he do a... I don't know what I'm talking about. There was the part Magnolia. Oh, we're talking. And we're talking, says, we're me, talking to Jerry Maguire. He's going, show me my father. <laughs> <laughs> and then there will be blood. He's going, show me your milkshake. Right? I think so. Or show me the oil. Show me the blood, Eli. <laughs> Every movie with show me the is a website we should make. Actually, we should go to Missouri and do these bits. Show me Missouri? Show me the state. Show me the state. It's the show, the show me, me state. state. <laughs> I got it. Like you're taking my breath away. It's just like this no, we go, we go to the wait. No, we go to really? Missouri and we and we download um, and we download the uh, tit- the famous sketch comedy MTV sketch comedy program with Thomas Lennon and Michael Showalter. The and, state. Yeah, we say show me the state. <laughs> the show me state is a kind of a shitty name. It's, it's a like, weird one. It's like yeah. Well, now it's just going to tell you, like, Iowa. We'll show you. <laughs> I was just thinking about George Carlin's bit about the state mottos to this morning. Do you remember Oh, really? This? No. Old, old bit, obviously. It's George Carlin. But he goes, he, great bit. He goes, New Hampshire's slogan is live free or die. <laughs> yeah. And Idaho's is famous potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> he has a whole thing about that, but, like, the juxtaposition between the, the severity of those two statements. <laughs> I love it. 
I love it. Show me the monthly. You'd take the monthly. I think I would. Oh, because you can invest it. I can. No, you could spend it. Why? You just, well, I mean, I have a career, and it's like, why not just get all the money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're making a gamble on living. But we were in the criminal justice system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all right, and then we were in cash. So and right. you let's. What's a crime that is common? A crime that somebody might get hemmed up for. Might yeah. get hemmed up. Uh, jammed up. Yeah, jammed up for. Yeah, jammed up. Let's say the crime is. Um, is breaking and entering. B and E. B and E. A classic B and E. Seven <laughs> potatoes. <laughs> so you know you match a description, yeah, right? Yeah. For B and E, you're a young black man. Let's say most likely you're a young black or brown man. You match a description. You're wearing a hood. You're black. You're in the neighborhood. Wrong time. Whatever. They grab you. They throw you in the back of the car. They arrest you for B and E. Sammy potatoes. What are you doing in Compton? <laughs> you're black, Sammy. Yeah. Why wouldn't you think I was? You made a lot of assumptions about my race based upon my accent. I don't know where I'm even going with the accent. Yes, I'm a black man. <laughs> Unlikely black accents. Oh, to tree, to tree. I'm a black man living in Ireland. This one will, this one will please the fans. You are the I am a black man. I'm trying to get out from this racist criminal justice system. Whoa, are you woke, Stephen Hawking? That's right. A YouTube Woke, Stephen Hawking! I wanted to come on the show and tell you I am sorry for the mistakes that I made in the last appearance. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of studies. <laughs> I read Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. Uh, is that a good one to get woke? Sure, that one will wake you up real quick. <laughs> You'll be like, Lou Gehrig's is not the disease. The disease is systemic racism. Is that right? <laughs> I mean, I believe you, but... I don't know. I just thought that was a little treat for the fans. <laughs> so no, you got a B&E, a classic B&E, right? <clears throat> You're like, what are you... Bacon ha- and eggs. What are you hustling me for? <laughs> All I'm doing is trying to walk home. <laughs> Stephen Hawking's does not fit. <laughs> Any <laughs> description. description. Young African-American male breaking and entering. Is that him? <laughs> no, that's a 70-year-old white man in a severe wheelchair. Okay, so not not him? Yeah, no, that's the world's most famous <laughs> physicist, <laughs> Stephen Hawking. Are you sure? <laughs> Kapuro, are you sure? Yeah, no, I'm. Sh- that's Stephen Hawking, the most famous physicist in the world. Why is he in this neighborhood? That's a, that is a good question. I'll give you that. Now let's walk down these hills and fuck all those cows. Oh, my God. Do you know that reference? Yes. Colors? I, is it from Colors? Colors, yeah. Sean Penn and Robert Duvall. Great movie. Didn't Ice-T write a song called he did. Colors? For, it, the, for movie the movie. Colors. Have you seen the movie? How, wait. Don't tell me how it starts. Where the wrong color rag. There's a oh, the there. song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, uh, you want to die, wear the wrong color rag. I wait, how did, that's I not how it starts. That's Isn't not it? how it starts. It's a good... Oh, Ice-T. Yeah. Let me kick my credentials. Young player, bred in South Central L.A., home of the body bag. You want to die, wear the wrong color rag. And even as a kid, I was like, he only said rag because it rhymed with bag. But it's not like, No true. one's walking around wearing rags. No, they call them rags. <laughs> they do? Yeah, yeah, red rag. Yeah, no. Oh, really? Yeah, red rag, blue rag. Oh, I didn't know. Straight up. Yeah, that's straight real. Up, straight yeah. up. That's legit? That's one hundred percent legit. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I mean, I know. I'm a, I'm a, I was. You know that I was a crip. Sorry, Mr. T. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not Ice T. I'm not Mr. T. I'm Moshe Kasher, former crip member, South Central. Uh, You're great, not a crip. Great block. Great block crips or grape grape grape. There's some grape crip set. I don't want to know. By the way, have you seen um, Bastards of the Party? 
No. Greatest, gr- my favorite documentary ever. Bastards of the Party? Yeah, it's about the... Writing form- it down. It's about the formation of the Bloods and Crips, and it is really one of the great documentaries I've ever seen. Honest question, does it have a lot of stuff where it's like, you know, they took sweet... Sweet P. <laughs> Sweet P was the weak kid and he got jumped in some part where I'm going to die crying. Because... Oh, well, you'll be sad? Yeah. I, it's I, a... Which is okay. I just need to know going in. No, it's, it's a lighthearted about, like... comedy about the formation of the Bloods and Crips. <laughs> no, but basically... Uh... The int- you know what I mean. There's one guy. It's not really like that. He's it's got like special needs. It's like emotional. But you're like, no. No, it's not. It's not a, a, a bait and, an emotional bait and switch okay. like that. It's, okay. it, it, it really is one of the most fascinating stories. And it actually connects directly to what we're talking about, about the criminal justice system. Hit it. Because the formation of the Bloods and Crips in, uh, in Los Angeles, California, which is a hotbed for racism, uh, police institutionalized racism. The LAPD used to go to the South, the, the, the Deep South, to find recently returned Vietnam veterans, ask them if they were pro-segregation, and if they were racist enough, offer them a job at the LAPD to keep black people b- below uh, Western in, in South Central and Compton. Literally, they well, would Western import... Western runs North South. Whatever it Wilshire. is. Wilshire, maybe. But Probably. the point is... Which is where... I think Biggie was shot on Wilshire. And oh, was that? I was because of that. No, I don't know. <laughs> but that's true. They would go to the Deep South and they would really? find... Really? Yeah, straight up. Straight up. There was the guy that preceded Daryl Gates. Uh, Daryl Gates was the police chief that presided over the Rodney King riots. Thank you. I was in, quietly embarrassed. No, you I shouldn't be. I mean, but he was a fam- <laughs> You remember him now, now that I mentioned him. He was the police yeah. chief that was like... He said there's no problem in the LAPD, even though it was rife with... I mean, the interesting thing when you think about it, right? Where have the big police riots happened in like watts the 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 rodney king riots um uh and new york there was one there were ones in harlem there were ones in i think detroit these are all places in the north the quote unquote the the non-segregated areas of the country right Mm -hmm. so it's like this very interesting idea right like why are the riots happening in california where you think the you know things are good because it's so mixed institutionalized racism in the los angeles police because Even though it's mixed and you do see people of every color here, there's institutionalized racism. Yeah, and, and literally imported from where now? Literally, they would go to the south and to like I'm saying straight up. Like how we got our palm trees from Florida. We, we <laughs> on right. the way we picked up some other southern. Stuff. Actually, they would go to Florida. They would ask the palm trees, "How do you feel about black people?" And if they swayed to the right, they would <laughs> import them. <laughs> That's in the documentary. Yep. <laughs> This, this, co- this palm yep. tree is racist. It only drops coconuts. It actually came up with the racial slur for a white for a black guy that acts white, which is a coconut. And he's like, <laughs> what if you call oh my it my fruit? God. What he, that's its idea. Oh my god! <laughs> Have you heard about that? That's a real slur. Yeah, yeah, a coconut. coconut. Yeah. Anyway, did you? Where did you grow up again? Lexington, Massachusetts. So did, was it all oh, white? Two one seven three. Was it all white? We had a lot of Asians. Asian. We had a lot of, uh, and then we had a very, I'm proud of my high school, very uh, progressive, um, I guess you would, I hate to call it a bus system, it sounds so bad, but kids from like Mattapan and stuff all got on the bus and came to Lexington High School. Oh, they would bus kids in. They bus kids in, which sounds terrible. Nobody wants anything on buses. It sounds like forced and terrible, but it was a good program. No, right. They try to integrate everybody. I mean, that's the problem. We always talk about the problem with like uh, private schools. I went to public schools my whole life. And private schools, the problem with them is that you become very educated, but within this like incredibly refined air of like only your kind. And you'll never meet people of color and you'll never, not that there's no people of color in private schools, but just like I'm grateful for Oakland Public Schools because I got this crazy diversity education. However, I almost didn't make it out. 
Like, you know what I mean? I almost like I flunked out of I dropped out of junior high. So it's like it didn't do well. Right. Yeah. No, I you hear know? that. I hear that. Anyway, do you ever get called racial slurs when you were a kid? I know the F word was as bad as it would get. Not fuck. Oh, uh-huh. The F. Oh, fag. Yeah, fag, fag. Okay. I uh, I got called racial slurs a lot. When I was you a did? Kid. Oh yeah. Cracker ass cracker. Cracker ass cracker. <laughs> I, like, uh, I like the music of white cracker bread. Ass cracker. Honky. Uh, honky. White bread. White bread. And then there's this one People kid. Love white bread. This one Asian kid called me white chicken bread. I don't know what why. White chicken. Bread. White chicken bread all the time. He picked on me. White chicken bread. White chicken bread. Like a chicken. chicken. He picked on you. Yeah, he, pl- always- he clucked. He was a clucker. That's another one. White chicken bread. White chicken bread. I don't know where he came up with it, but it was white bread. It was like it was like it was much like um, closed camera or whatever. Your Completely. Bit. It was like just a, a bit on a bit on a bit, and then I was the butt of the bit on a bit. Wait, there were so few uh, white people that you you just get random uh, cracker ass crackers. Oh, all the time. White boy. White boy was like a. I felt like a term of affection. People really? would go white boy, but like, how can I help you? <laughs> I talk like that. I had the accent. And how can I help mm, you? How can I help you? <laughs> when I was in uh, Uganda, yeah. people would just scream uh, Mzungu, which means white person. Really? Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Which it wasn't mean. It was, it, I'm a six It was more six like, holy shit. White boy. Like, yeah, it was a very wow. weird thing. I mean. What were you in U- Uganda for? We built houses. Oh, you were missionary. Yeah, missionary. Oh, Uganda, be kidding me. <laughs> Streaming now on Netflix. <laughs> It's Chelsea Handler's You Gotta Be Kidding Me. You Uganda. Afra, can you handle it? <laughs> can you feel me? Are, are you going to watch it? Akuna. Um, uh, wait. <laughs> why? I'm a data about whether I'll enjoy it. Oh, no. But you know what I don't worry about enjoying when I'm at the club and I take Molly. You take Molly at clubs? I'm doing an African country bit. I thought you were oh. with me. No. I started thinking about Chelsea's special. I watched the beginning, and she did a joke about black people smiling, and that's how you see them, and I turned it off. Oh, there was a guy named um, there was a guy named Al that didn't enjoy it. Al? Yeah, Al Jeers. He jeered the whole time. <laughs> I'm still doing my African bit. I think Chelsea's great. She gave me my start, I would say, in show business. Uh, she, she took a chance on me. Yeah, it's okay. I'm very responsive. But if you were her, and she, she had a... No. If okay, if you had a special called "You Gotta Be Kidding Me," she would definitely make fun of it. Listen, I think that this can go one of two ways. <laughs> <laughs> we can either drop it or we can keep going. Yeah. But my my feel my strong feeling is is that, yeah, is, that, yeah. is that is uh, that it's worth the money, and he didn't get jipped. He didn't get jipped. <laughs> that is. So ambitious. If you can see my face right now. It's not a proud face. <laughs> it's not. It, you didn't get right now. Jip. My face isn't like. Did you hear what I did? It's like. Not did only jip. did I use a racial slur, but also the bit didn't work. <laughs> yeah, gypped is a racial slur. Yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, actually, is there a restroom here? Yeah, that's it's Ethiopia. <laughs> I gotta oh, go. You guys, okay. none of it even. That didn't even make. A, and I wasn't bought even, it. I just said, yeah, downstairs. <laughs> there wasn't even a a world in which that made sense. There was like, Ethiopia. who's Ethiopia? <laughs> <laughs> what is, Have Ethiopia? you seen my friend Ethiopia? I think he's in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, Ethiopia. <laughs> I'm just thinking about uh, Niger. Oh, don't think about Niger. There's there's not a lot of fun that can be had with that. <laughs> the word Niger. No, but anyway, I got a new friend. I, did I tell you I have a new friend named Chad? <laughs> He's a good dude, Chad. Yeah. 
And then, but don't do the night. There's nothing good that could come of the the Niger bit. I'm trying to think. Nope. I, I got nothing on I, that. I actually. Can you do it? No. Nope. I can't. Oh, you know, actually. Can you do it? Oh, very good. Right. Yeah. There's a forest in Niger, though. Is there? Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful forest. There's just Eritrea, Eritrea, Eritrea. Oh, my God. Um, oh my god so i quit comedy is a good there's a there's a bright side of all of this i'm okay. actually someone gets arrested for b&e okay so I, Sammy I, potatoes get the rest of the no B&E. no 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 stop the bit oh stop sorry the bit, okay stop so a bit. guy gets arrested for b for breaking and entering young black guy yeah. you look like the guy you know to be fair maybe he does you know he does fit the description right, right. the cops go we got our guy we're done Work done, right? Because it's just like why we got our guy we got our guy but he's like i didn't do it Right, and they're like, that's what they all say. And it is what they all say. Of course it is. But they all say, a lot of them All the innocent it people because... say it, too. <laughs> all the guilty people, but... I've never liked that joke when it's like, in prison, they're like, yeah, everybody in here is innocent. I'm like, some of them are! Right, right. Some of them are! So many of them are. Is that so right? So many people are in prison right now that are innocent, and it's because of this system. And it's the reason... Don't you think it's that making a murderer thing where it's like, they didn't do what we arrested them for, but they were going to do some other shit because they're, like, worthless? That's what they were saying yeah, about Steve Avery. it's even bigger than that, though, because it's like Steve Avery, at least Steve Avery had a reputation for being bad. He didn't just, right. like, fit the racial description of bad. Right, right, right. Right? And even worse than that, is and I'm just now regurgitating stuff from the doc the, the uh, documentary the, the third of the party no the thirteen or whatever it is oh, on yeah, Netflix sure. it's just like there was slavery then they outlawed slavery and there was a clause that said you can't enslave people unless you can't lock people up against their will unless they've committed a crime so they made a system I don't know how conscious or pur- purposeful it was but they made a system that was the that is the prison industrial complex where we can lock people up primarily black and brown people. Be, with through legalized slavery and they do labor in there for free and it keeps our economy buoyed to some degree but mostly it keeps the people that we find terrifying uh locked up and they were locked up before and they're locked up now anyway so you're just some guy walking down the street right b and e can i i have to for the record yikes it's a it's the deepest yikes in the world yeah. i mean it's so yikes it's like everybody always says to and I look. I don't want this to be some like. Let's talk about race the whole time. I'm some two white guys. Two white guys talk a race with Sammy Potatoes <laughs> on XM Raw Dog Comedy. Yeah, but you're just regurgitating things. You. That's read. true. And you're from Oakland, so I think you're good. And I, you know, yeah. And, and I, I to, quoted uh, four bars of iced tea earlier. I was good. So we're in. We're the good white people. And if you're listening now, you're listening to the good white people. A conversation between two positive whites about the racist power structure white. in society. White. So, yeah. When I was in Africa, they were like, one thing you don't say for sure, because nobody's going to use an obvious racial, race, racial epitaph. Yeah. Uh, epithet? Epithet, yeah. Epithet. Uh, don't epithet? say non-white. That's None a, white. That's a big one. Interesting. In Africa, because of the history of that. At least in Uganda. Oh, that's I was like, interesting. Do not call people non white. I, I was like, I wasn't going to, but thanks for putting that in my head. I heard something very cool about, I think, South Africa is that they would they refer to Jews separately from white people. And I did 55 backflips when I heard that. Yeah, we all do that. I was like, thank you, 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 thank you. That's oh, all you I were wanted. Happy. You oh, were happy. so happy. I was trying to be racist for fun, and you're saying you're glad. Well, every Jew is like obsessed with the like small hanging chad of possibility that Ever they won't be considered said, white <laughs> you know what I mean? wait they like that oh love it that's where you what i guess what do you mean <laughs> i'm saying like jews 
Be- for good reasons and bad reasons. I mean, because obviously Jews benefit from like the privilege of having white skin, right? Right. But we also, it's like, you know, we also like to think of ourselves, rightfully so, as an oppressed class, as a marginalized oppressed people, right. even though things have gone swimmingly for us for the last, you know, 60 years or, you know, or so. Before that, it was just a fucking trail of That's tears. A big turnaround. A huge, nice turnout. It really is all America's all America's fault. I don't love America that much. I mean, I don't dislike America. I just I'm not one of these like I love this place. It's the yeah. best country on earth. Yeah. But I will say it's been phenomenally good for the Jews. Fertile soil for for Jewish seed. Nothing, no better place, including Israel, for Jews. Well, well. I would say Israel's a better place for Jewish identity, but not better for just generalized Jewish safety. Good place. You have the cloak of whiteness. And would, is it even fair to say a specific skill set? That's like a positive racism. Well, you know what's interesting it's a about positive stereotype. Well, the positive stereotypes can be bad too. Uh, by the way, I'm not some like liberal woke guy. I don't no, know, I'm, I'm, know I'm, how I'm, I'm coming off this I'm, way. Oh, sure. I'm, I, I hate racists. You want me to tell you the races I hate? <laughs> how do they bleed just Moshe's microphone? The idea that is that I went back to you later after we recorded this, and I was like, Pete. Um, I'm a little uncomfortable with the the part where when I, I ma- mentioned the different races I hated. Like four races. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of five races. Yeah. So you ate four out of five. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, could you just be, and if it's possible, could we isolate the audio? <laughs> so you I want you to laugh, so it'll seem like I'm being playful, but beep out those. This is going to take hours and hours. <laughs> well, Pete, it's the cost of doing business with me. Why don't we and just. Wait, and and no, no, you go, I can't do it, Moshe. I'm like, oh, you can't? Let me introduce you to a buddy of mine. Hey, Pete, it's me, Sammy Potatoes. I'm on the payroll here for Moshe, who somehow controls the, the mafia. And then 55 more Africa puns. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't want to come out. I'm interested, though. We were talking about positive stereotypes. Yeah. Oh, positive stereotypes? I mean, whatever. Yeah, positive stereotypes are fine. But I, wait, what, what, I mean, you're kind of alluding to them, aren't you? You're saying, given the Jewish skill set, America's a great place to be clo- no, no. cloaked in whiteness and also... No, in fact, the Jewish skill set wasn't always... Uh, and if we're saying what the Jewish skill set is, uh, I think what you're referring to is like being educated and being like Mo- Yeah, money, money financial person. And there's wisdom. A re- there's a reason behind that. There's yeah. a historical reason. Do you know what the reason is? I've uh, seen Taming of the Shrew. Uh, oh, do they talk about that in Taming of the Shrew? That's what it's about. It's it about uh, money you collectors. You mean the Merchant of Venice? That's what I meant. Okay. What did I right. say? But do you know... Uh, Don't you hate when you, you're trying to be smart and then... You, I you, do you hate open, that the you most. You open the door so confidently and it's like, I've seen Taming of the Shrew. But with and comedy... horse manure falls. <laughs> <laughs> that there's manure. <laughs> you think you're going to get an honorary doctorate from I hate from manure. <laughs> yeah. And you get an honorary <laughs> doctorate from Robert Zemeckis. You get biffed. <laughs> you get biffed. <laughs> and it's in your mouth. <laughs> um... I think comedy, you get away with that, and it's really interesting. Like, what, on what? stage. With like, what? You just sound smart, and people are like, he's smart. And yeah. it's like, you know, I've referenced the wrong author all the time. I've done that a lot. I, I tried to ref- – I recently did an interview where I referred to Maria Abramovich. Yes. And I called her Marquetta Inglova, which is the woman in the movie Once. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I did it. And, and I, I said it so confidently. <laughs> that's funny. And it was on the record. It was like recorded. I was like, look, you look at a performance artist like Marquette Anglova. It's like, oh, Peter. Did anybody get back to you? She knew what I meant. She meant, do you mean Maria Abramovich? You were like, like uh, duh. Uh, yeah, let's go see Taming of the Shrew. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Maria um, uh, Benfordovich. I think I actually think Maria Benfordovich is like. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Mar- Maria, Maria Benfordovich. Benfordovich. She's one of the most. 
forward-thinking comedic performance artists. Wow. Maria Bamfordovich. That'd be a cool mashup, actually. That is hilarious. No, it's actually, right now, at the New York Museum of Modern Art, yep. there is an amazing installation that Maria Bamfordovich is doing. You stand in line all day, <laughs> and you sit down in front of her, and for a minute straight, she will look you in the eyes, and she'll just do very cutting-edge, cool, emotionally <laughs> revealing comedy. In a lot of a baby voice. Yeah, and, and uh, very, very accurate, eerily accurate. Yeah, and you will cry, up. you will feel it all, yep. you'll feel everything. <laughs> She's so there. She's there with the you. The comedian is present. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so oh, Jews. Oh, wait, I want to finish Jews. this idea. Okay, so the reason- we got Jews, we got institutionalized racism, so the, we got the prisons, we, got, we have you not drinking. We I have, feel like we can get back to all of them. Yeah, no, I got Alan Funt eventually, and Funt is right here. Um, we had to Funt that topic. We funted. Um, okay, so. Okay, so the Christians, right? Christians. Yeah. Okay. Now I now. Now you're on board. Um, I'm listening. Christians <laughs> out. Uh, they outlawed usury, right? Usury. Uh, uh, lending people money at inter- at an interest. At an interest. Rate. It was one now or the, the merchant. It was one of the deadly sin or one of the sins in Dante's Inferno. In fact, very uh, very uh, out. Uh, no no good. Right. It wasn't good. People didn't like it. But you're living next door to a Jew. The Jew- people need to borrow money. Right. Yeah. Nobody's lending money at no interest rate. That just doesn't exist. Right. That's just all altruism. And, and unfortunately, right. you can't do an economy on altruism because people aren't good. And so the Jew is next door. And so the Jew will lend you money at, a, at an interest rate. Well, who yeah. do you hate more? Who do you hate more than the person calling you saying, where's my money? Saying, show yeah. me, show yeah. me the money. <laughs> who do you hate more than that? Right. You're like, show me the proof. <laughs> show me the monthly. Actually, you couldn't say show me the proof back then because they had like a handful of corn that represented <laughs> this kernel is one week. Look, I have five kernels of corn. Is this it's so <laughs> interesting that you, we're in sixteen. It's we're in fifteen hundreds medieval Germany, and I still talk like this. I talk like a. I talk like I'm. I'm literally. I'm. It's me with John Mulaney, Nick Kroll. <laughs> Oh hello, but it's well, it's medieval times. <laughs> People are dying of the black plague over here, and I'm talking like this. You should eat something. You got the black plague over there. I'd like a medium soup, but I can't afford it. All callbacks. Medium soup. So there we go. So so in, in the, the pre medium soup times. Pre medium. Um, the Jews will lend you money. At interest. And then you hate them because they're the you ones... Hate, who do you hate more than your creditor? Yeah, I know it stinks. You should... If your creditor isn't Visa, and you're just like, damn you, faceless Visa, if it's Moshe, common Jewish name. Yeah. So you hate them, and then every you know 50 or so years... Well, they, you shouldn't hate them. They helped you out. Right, but every but then 100 years later, you forget about that part, and you just go, all you know is, I owe these motherfuckers hella money, and they're like interlopers in my in my society. Let's kill them. And so every like 100 years or so, there'd be like a, a pogrom, and they would wipe the Jews out. Not wipe them all That the was way like out. wiping out debt. It wasn't even that. It was more like evil, get the evil... Blood-sucking right. Jew. Right, right, right. No, please. No part of me is like, oh, good no, strategy. No, no, I know that. But part of it wasn't just... I don't know how I, pragmatic it, it was. Let's wipe out our debt. That's what I'm wondering. Was yeah. there pragmatism in the evil? I, evil pragmatism. And I'm not saying... That's an interesting question. I actually don't know the answer. Because I, it's, that's the plot of Fight Club. Let's blow up all the credit right. collectors. Right. That, so Fight Club is just about an anti-Semitic program. We knew that. Yeah. Tyler Durden. Is there more of a Goy name than right. Tyler Durden? <laughs> 
Give um, me a fund. His least. name was Joseph Goebbels. <laughs> um, so then, oh, so Poland. Yeah. So uh, Jews got all kicked out of Spain. They got kicked out. They just kept. So the king of Poland in like the 1300s or the 1500s or so, I don't know when it was. He was like, you guys are idiots. This kept happening, by the way, in Jewish history. Some leader would go, you guys are idiots. We need bankers. We yeah. need people to lend us money. It'll buoy our own economy. It'll make us a strong, powerful economy. You guys are fools, you other European leaders. Come to Poland. He and wasn't calling the Jews fools. He was like, come on in, Jews. Absolutely. Safe space for Jews. Yeah. Come to Poland. This is real. Yeah. And the Jews, went because they'd been beleaguered everywhere else they, they lived, they were like, oh, we'll come to Poland. Thank you. Thank you. They all went to Poland. Theirs was a wandering existence. And then they said, come to Poland, just like they said, come. This is the reason that everybody goes, Jews are paranoid. Jews are obsessed with anti-Semitism. This is why. Because, it's because it's like in your cultural DNA, it, it, it's in your abs- cultural memory. Absolutely, and it, not that long ago, it didn't start. It didn't. It started literally in the Roman times when they kicked us out of Jerusalem, right? And it didn't stop literally until. I mean, it still kind of hasn't stopped, but really, it's it's it, it is a powerful cultural force. Didn't stop until the Holocaust, well, and that's the thing that that people are finally like, all right, yeah, you they, guys, you, you guys, guys have suffered help. enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they all went to Poland, right? Like tons of them. I'm thinking this I, is way before the Holocaust. Though. Way before the Holocaust. Yeah, medieval times. And they they thrived in Poland for generations, and then came the Holocaust, and a third of all the Jews in the world were living in Poland, and they're like, there's basically no Jews left in Poland. Really? Yeah. They killed almost all of the Jews in Poland. Wow. And uh, so that's you know, I mean, I'm a Polish Jew. You are? Yeah. Yeah. Hey. So you, you know, I mean, I, I can remember the recipe to ice, but I'll sell it to you at a distinct in, increase. There's something greedy, but dumb. I guess is the point I'm making. <laughs> We're talking about so many people dying, and it's like at least you made it to make that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I know. This like anti-Semitic. I'll sell you the recipe for ice <laughs> joke. Oh my god, it's hard to follow tragedy. Uh, it is. It's, it's hard true. with a bit. It's and hard. that's what Jews have been doing in America for the past sixty years. So anyway, right. So yeah. okay, where where were we? Po- okay, so you're breaking and entering. I, we were also talking about how you get here and turn it around so quickly. How did the Jews do it? I think that the Jews... Don't they have a strong cultural identity? It's good? Like community helps? I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you right. know, Arabs have as much have more of a cultural identity than Jews. Yeah. I mean, maybe they do, do now. I mean, like, I, I'm thinking a lot about that. Like, what is the fundamental difference between Arabs and, the, the, and, and, Jew, and Muslims and the Jews pre World War II, like I guess one of them is that there are actually terror attacks that are attributed to Muslims, and so therefore you can paint with a broad brush with more impunity. But honestly, they were painting with a broad brush based on—I mean, maybe you know what I'm saying. What I, the corollary I'm making is that prior You're to World War two, II, strong communities, but one that have both have become scapegoats uh, for a civil society, blaming all of their problems on. Uh, a a a group, a, right. an evil group that's out to get us. Right, right, right. So an acceptable racism, which is what we're in the midst of with like Islam. You know, even people like like people will go, oh, but I mean, it's a hard one. It's a hard one to wrap your mind around, right? Because mm. you go, well, wait, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at nine eleven. I'm looking at the the terror attacks in you know uh, in France. I'm looking at ISIS, and you're telling me. I get why a person's going, and you're telling me don't be racist towards all 
Muslims, I right. see this as Islam. I can see it with right. my eyes. Right. It's such a hard thing to go. Like, I think people don't give enough credit to people's inability to have the shades of nuance. Not that, right, I guess the counter-argument would be, well, why are you giving credit to racists? Who cares about giving credit to them? Why do we need to sink to... But it's a reality. It's just a, it's a, it's a de facto reality. People well, are terrified. It's a manipulation of our base brain function. You know what we were talking yes. about earlier, the, the, the favorites in the iPhone. If you see a lion running at you, run. So it's kind exactly. of... It's a perversion... My favorite thing is hate is a, is a lack of imagination. I right. forget who said it, but hate is a lack of imagination is a, is a f- fantastic quote. And it's this idea that it's so much easier to just go, I hate and I'm afraid. And, and, and instead of trying to put yourself in the shoes of a refugee who moved to your community and they're Muslim. And that was on NPR as well where there was a – I'm going to get the country wrong and it's going to be embarrassing. But Chad. A refugee. Chad. Was it Chad? A guy named Chad from Chad. Okay. A Chadian refugee named Chad. No, go ahead, please. He pushed a, a, a white girl into, and she hit her head, and and so it was like, look, these people don't share our values exactly. As, a, as opposed, to oh, I heard what you're talking to... about. It was in a, it was a Somali refugee a Somali, from Somali. That's right. In in Minneapolis, and it was a three year old boy right. who was in a sandbox with a white girl, and he pushed her head into the into the wall. She cried. She yeah. had a bump on her head, right. and the person's response to these two three year olds roughhousing was see that that's not how our three-year-olds act. Right. Which is, from our perspective, lunacy. Because, yeah, you're three years old. But that's what our brain does. Exactly. Your brain... That person's brain said, Somali. I see Somali I, three-year-old. Exactly. I, and I do this sort of stuff all the time, not with people, but I'll go, I ate pasta before a show and I had a bad show. I still believe that salty, salty noodle uh-huh. soup is the worst thing you can eat before a show. Right. And this is something that benefits me. This is what we do all the time. Right. The brain thinks about things. But also, this and is... And it turns a, things into things. And you're right. It places value where the value doesn't belong. It's but trying all, to turn everything into binary. It goes, okay, this absolutely. is this and this is this. That's well, how it functions. But this is why I'm trying to... The work of the, the mystic is to get into your heart, which is a more accepting open space. Well, actually, I would say yes. I would say the binary, I would say good and evil is the enemy of deep thought binary is the reason that people are that people are at war because it's so much the binary is the reason that people believe that uh, in conspiracy theory even because mm-hmm. it's so much easier to think of like a pure evil like malevolent scary monster force right. than to say actually no it wasn't the government the scary government troop that came in and shot up sandy hook it was my neighbor yeah. it was my brother that uh that did that because yeah. that's so much more terrifying. Right. That's that's cutting the cord on oh, your no. on your parachute. After nine eleven, I got real into nine eleven conspiracy theories. I still think there's some unanswered questions that, that haven't been answered to my satisfaction. But that's not what we're talking uh-huh. about. But the reason I got into that, you you want to follow that thread? I'm just I curious. don't really want to. Yeah, no, it's my, it's a it's a can of worms. Sure, it is a can of worms. I don't have any new information anyway. But it was right after nine eleven, and I'm a comedian. I'm flying a lot, so I got a lot of comfort going. It wasn't as random as it seemed. Uh-huh. It was the government. Totally. We did it to ourselves. It's a false flag operation. And then I flew with more confidence because I was like, they're not going to do it twice. Right. You know what I'm saying? You could do the same thing, but you can't be 100% sure a random agent isn't going to do the same thing. Well, twice. you you look at our uh, mass shootings, right? It's yeah. like one week it'll uh, it'll be – Well, is there anything more comf- comforting than the idea of a Manchurian candidate? 
Right. The idea that they're like, totally. oh, Virginia Tech, he had never shot a gun at a person before. I don't know the statistic, but it's something like he shot 25 people and he fired 28 times. Something like that. I'm making right. that up. Don't quote that. That's not true. Right. But you hear statistics like that where you're like, look at the accuracy of these things. They're being activated by the radio, the government. It's like Catcher in the Rye style, not Catcher in the Rye, Catcher in the Rye. These are sleeper cells. We're using brain control. The CIA right. is experimenting with LSD. They're exper- and we have been for many, many years. We're experimenting with uh, suggestibility. And these kids that are no threats are suddenly activated and, they want to, and, and they're going off the grid somehow. That's so comforting as opposed to – this is the problem. We need to see ourselves in Hitler. We need to see ourselves in Trump. We need to see ourselves in whatever evil thing is out there because that is critical thinking. That is emotionally intelligent thinking to go, I too have a great potential for, for chaos, evil, ugliness, and wrongness. And then the ergo I can work on it. And exactly, it, and if, but ignoring it is where you get right. If an evil, ego. if evil is a cart is like straight up Skeletor, you know, literally yeah. a cartoon. <laughs> <bad> man. <laughs> well, that's essentially what you're doing. You're caricaturizing evil to be literally like, oh no, that's a magic bad man, or that's, that's right. a magic bad force, and it's that's like, right. no, that is your your well, brother. I talked to Norman that's Lear you. about World War II, and the first thing he said was, it was it was uh, much more clear who the enemy was, uh-huh. and that is. Objectively, he's right. It's a quote unquote better war. You're like, we're going after the country that declared war on it. It's not right. like some insurgent thing hiding here or there. Right. And we love that. We, we're still making movies about that. I think that's one of the reasons why Captain America is like very timely. It's like, remember when war was like, let's go get Adolf? Right. So, it, you know, there's the, uh, the idea of, of binary good and evil is like, it's like it, I think it's like a, it's a cancer. Right? Yeah, and it cre- it creates stories that we all sort of play out into our into our real lives. Um, mm. So that's that's no good. It is a narrative we apply to, to help me, and it makes one, sense of reality. One we thing have I, more time though now. You and I do not have to go look for berries after this. Right. We do not have to chase a fox. We can sit around and navel gaze and go, wait a minute, life exists in the gray, and really divine humanity is to find those gray areas. Well, but that, you're saying that's good? It's good to not be binary, not, to not go like, this is evil. Wait, is that, we have time to be... I'm saying it is good. It, okay, so my, do you know Christopher Ryan? Have you I'm had him on is, this podcast yet? No, that's why we're seeing a shift. You should have Christopher Ryan on here. In ethics. That's why you hear more people talking about... Um, Open marriage, for example. Open. That's he's the king of open marriage. That's okay. so weird. Isn't he wrote weird? he wrote the book Sex at Dawn. Okay, see, but that's what I'm saying. When you give a person enough navel gazing time, yeah. If you don't have to go wait in a breadline, no disrespect to people that really still do that and people that did that in our past, all that stuff. No, yeah. but poor people are pathetic. Look, I don't want to get too serious. Bar that's real. Bar 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 oh yeah. Hold on. He goes. Like, Hello, it's me, woke Stephen Hawking. <laughs> I gotta tell you that racism is a systemic problem in this country <laughs> however the poor need to be wiped off the face of the earth hey steven sorry listen steven. i don't evolve all at once <laughs> you still have a few blind spots yes i would say i have a few blind spots but what you- a part of that is due to a vision weakening due to my Lou Gehrig's. Okay. Okay. What are you doing in this neighborhood? We're looking for a guy who broke into an apartment. I'll tell you what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm looking for places to break into. <laughs> I need a VCR. Honey, I'm addicted to crack <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> oh, what, he got more foreign, actually, since the last yeah, time I Yeah, no, I like it. Brr-ra, brr-ra. So, I think it is a good thing 
you get to you get more time to consider the things. If you're not fighting a war, if you're not f- fearful for your life, it's a lower level of consciousness, basic survival consciousness. And now we have all this time, and we have luxury, and we have food. You can go, hey, maybe I can have sex with my my girlfriend's friend. But the idea is that when you were picking berries, you just would have sex with your. Every marriage was was open, and this guy Christopher Ryan, who I really do think you'd love having on here, yeah, um, he. He's now pivoted from the polyamory argument into an anti-civilization argument, which I'm really curious about. He's actually coming on my podcast uh, this next. You should come. You want to? You want to join? Sure. Third third Wednesday. <laughs> you can edit this out. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> no, anyway, fine. this is just booking podcasts is much more important than actually recording. We have a them. podcast where we only book. Other <laughs> <laughs> we it's called comedy booking. in general. <laughs> so, so he do, he wants no society, no civilization. Because no the idea is that basically, I, I don't know his. Well, can you I, even for a moment contemplate, really vividly hallucinate what it would be like? To be in a structureless – I'm not talking about anarchy where you can go kill something like Westworld. I'm talking about can you imagine the freedom of waking up and just being like, well, I need some water. Here's a stream. Yep. Uh, I need a friend. There's – hey, there's there's Bogo. Bogo? <laughs> you have like simple names. Sure. There's, there's, hey, there's Bogo. There's Bogo. Oh, there's Haram. Bogo Haram. Come this way. And there's Akuna. And Matata. <laughs> And then and Sammy potatoes. What are you doing here? Hey, I'm a hunter gatherer. I take ten percent of every berry. Break me off a little something. But you it's like fuck. it's like Forrest Gump when he went running. Yeah. When I was sleepy, I slept. When I was hungry, I ate. Like every once in a while, I can get just a vivid hallucination of what it's like to breathe clean air, eating food that you find, living. Communally. But you know they they're happier than we Fucking are. Fucking when you're horny. Do you know about this? Sleeping when you're tired. Do you know about this? I, can't. I will. I woke up at 8 a.m. this morning, and I was like, I got to go back to sleep. Why? I was awake. And I was like, because I've only slept six hours. That's not enough. What was I basing that on? If I was sleeping under a tree, I'd be like, I guess I get up and look at the stars. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But they were, they were happier. Do you know this? Yeah, hit it. Kev, Kev, do you know about this? <laughs> hey, you heard about this? Ah! Apparently, there's a... Kev. <laughs> Apparently, there's a study... Hunter-gatherer hunter, hunter society, happier, will report higher rates of happiness than uh, than us here in, society, in civil, civil society. Kev, you hear about this? <laughs> Who knew uh, what was ruining life was Quiznos? Okay. Oh, you're still going? <laughs> Kev, 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 you okay? Kev, are you all right? Kev, Kev, can we get can we get first aid in here? Kev, 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 clear. He's back. Hey, I'm back. Um, Is that a stereotypical black guy voice? I didn't mean it to be. So, wait, where were we? Uh, oh, I wanted uh, happier. Hunter I wanted to tell happier. you this before we get into that. All right, I'll write it down. Oh, hunter gatherers, they do say we're happier. We're happier because they, they, you know, there's not a lot of time for existential well, are you, angst. Are you watching Westworld? Yes. Are you caught up? I am. Well, Ed Harris says... Hopefully all of the listeners of your podcast are... It doesn't well. matter. This isn't a major spoiler, but he says his the main appeal of Westworld is... Do you remember? No. I don't mean to quiz you. It's just no. fun when you know. I don't mean uh, to quiz nose, but Kev, you all right? <laughs> Kev? Kev? <laughs> 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 uh, the only... Every answer on the quiz nose is sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> the words Don Very Draper. Quiz nose sounds like quiz. Anyway, um... Then he, oh, I'm not a uh, mad madman. Well, pitching an ad. No, I get it. No, I, you, I'm you sorry. Get it. I, I'm not against very, the bit. It wasn't I just, very good. No, no, no. I like it. Uh, Rear. What were you we saying though? Uh, Quiznos. Uh, no, it wasn't Quiznos. Westworld. Ed Hurst. Oh, says, he says purpose. He goes. 
Some people come here and they want to get scared. They want to have sex. They want to feel adventure. But what it really offers is purpose. Is like you're out there chasing something. You have – like we know – the problem is, is we're all becoming kind of like rats in cages. We have every TV show. We have every movie. We have every song. And we have a, a button that we can push and food arrives. Like you have to have a certain amount of means to order delivery all the time. But after, if you're making a certain amount, you can stay in your cage, which yep. your brain, as Johnny Pemberton pointed out when he did the podcast a couple of weeks ago, he was like, it's a good temperature. It's a good altitude. I know where the exits are. Your lizard brain is completely you know, ill-equipped to break out of the idea that if I just stay here, I will be entertained, I will be moved, I will hear music, I will get – and when I'm hungry, the food will arrive. If I'm thirsty, you can order alcohol. I use Saucy yeah. to get alcohol. You can fucking Postmates. I use Postmates. I, I didn't. I almost used Postmates to have them bring me uh, Splinter Cell Blacklist. I wow. Mean, really have, you had, have you tried Postmates yet? <laughs> Postmates? Yeah. Tinder, you mean? No, that's good. Yeah, that's what I sent you. What I was gonna. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You get it. I call Tinder pussmates. But it's actually not a funny. It's not a joke. It's actually a uh, adoption service for Kids. cats that are about to be put down. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, it's actually not an area for you to make a joke. It's an area for us to get real. John Turturro comes in and takes it. <laughs> takes the cat. <laughs> this is the day after. Oh, there we go. Very good. Okay. Cat. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah, we yeah, yeah, are right. back. Right. We, we are back. <laughs> I was going to do <laughs> on. <laughs> we are what? You did on. I did back. So I went to you because it's your podcast. But then you went to me because I'm your guest. Oh, no, I think if you listen to it, I said back. We, we are, are bond. Back. <laughs> no, we. You know what, Hakuna? My word is bond. Word is bond. Wear the wrong color. Uh, color. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. cool. Very cool. Very, our waters are very similar temperatures. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed. Um, I wanted to tell you on yeah. this tangential conversation, which has been really fun. Yeah. Uh, are you wrapping it up? I, no, no, not, no, 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 no. But I wanted to get back, and I don't want people to go, wait, oh, I, yeah. why are we going back there? Yeah. But I did want to say, I heard this, this uh, NPR. heard this NPR. I'm Act a white one. a white person. Um, about about the Yitzhak Rabin, the Prime Minister of Israel, who was assassinated, who cre- who was very close to creating a real pe- a real peace with pal- the Palestinian people. Maybe maybe no, you'll, we'll never know because he was assassinated, and it sp- t- spun the peace process into a tailspin. Uh. Uh, they did this whole special about how like so many people, more people even than believe nine eleven was an inside job, believe that Yitzhak Rabin was not killed by basically do you know the story of Yitzhak no, Rabin? No, no, no. Essentially he was the the guy that was like peace at any cost, we're doing this, we're gonna sign this, we're just gonna push it through. Peace with the Palestinians, no matter what, we're gonna do it. And um wouldn't that mean making a lot of religious Jews angry or Yes, and yeah. so the religious Jews were like death to Yitzhak Rabin and one of them killed him. Really? Yes. Killed by a, a, a religious Jew? Yes. He was killed by a guy named Yigdal Amir. Amir? I believe that's right. Yigdal Amir. A Jew named Amir? Uh, yeah. Jews are, that's the other thing, just to get all the way back to the beginning, is when you talk about Jews as white people, it's so funny because, like, if you know, Jews, like, half of them are white people. Half of them are straight up Arabs. Like, they are Arab. Like, they really? are dark, swarthy, Arab looking people. If you meet a Yemeni Jew or, any, or a Moroccan Jew, they're not white, yeah, straight yeah, up. They yeah. might have other forms of privilege, but they don't have. They're not white. They that's for sure. They don't have Frodo's invisibility cloak. That's correct. Who threw that brick? Yeah, <laughs> a white man. <laughs> so they believe that. Which is wrong, by the way. What's that? Invisibility cloak. I'm making a riff about something that's very unfair. What? Tell me Hiding more. with whiteness, and it's like I'm not guilty. Oh, I, I, I oh, look white. That's but it's his, real. It's real, but it's, it's terribly it's sad. It's super I want, real. I want people to know that I yeah. know that it's sad. So and unfortunate. 
so Jews, oh, they, they believe they in Israel. Yeah. Now it's been 20 or so years since Yitzhak Rabin was killed by a Jew. Obviously, but it's literally like the Jews are like, we're going to kill him. And then one of them did. Wow. Now, 20 years later, there's a huge uh, group of people like the 9-11 conspiracy theorists that don't believe that Jews killed him. They believe that the government killed him or that the Arabs killed him. And or blamed that, it on... And somehow spun it because they don't want to take responsibility for what that is. Or that serves their political needs to say, we didn't kill the peace process. The Arabs are actually, they want to kill us. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because if you say, we did that, then you go, oh, actually, we're culpable in in part for this Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And the only narrative that works for us, binarily, is they're, the, they're bad, we're good. We're right, the good guys exactly. or the bad guys. By the way, I, I there is one conversation I will not have with anybody anymore is the Israeli-Palestinian conflict primarily not because I'm not charged about it but primarily because I find people on either side of the debate to be I would say cartoonishly one-sided yeah they literally both sides and I neither side seems better or worse to me they literally are going no we're actually good they're actually bad right and they're evil and I just there's nothing more disheartening to me than watch the leaders of the Palestinians and the Israelis go, you started it. It's like, you're 60. Yeah. You're 60 years That's old. That's why I got excited. I was actually hoping this guy happened more recently. I know he was assassinated. But it seems like the solution is, it's like, I know, I know this doesn't work for everybody, but peace, peace at any cost. He like, did it. It needs to be like a thing where you're like, I know, you're going to be upset, but we're going to have some peace. He did that, and then he died. At any yeah. rate... We could get into that too, but the thing that listening to that special, realizing that people think it was an inside job, yeah, like the most the working theory right now is literally because there's there is footage of Yigdalamir pulling the trigger. Is that Yigdalamir came, shot a blank? This is the stupidest shit I've ever heard in my life. He shot a blank oh, at no, the president. I, yeah. They they shuffled him into a limousine and they killed him in the limousine. Like why the stutter step? Right, right, but that's well. You know, there's a 9/11 uh, equivalent to that. No, what is that? The no plane theory. Oh, I must know. The no plane theory is. I, it's it's fucked up to say it's like your favorite theory because again, we're talking about two sure. tragedies here. But it's the most creative storytelling that I can think of. Yeah, is that it was a hologram of a plane. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. I, I won't. I I won't even. I can't really go into it too much. Matt McCarthy and I were obsessed with 9-11 conspiracies. It's pretty amazing. When, but it is good storytelling. Of course, and it's where our brains go because of this bifurcation between the re- savages of reality that's and right. the imagination. It's, that's the, right. The, you know, the good evil uh, dichotomy we can make up with our imagination. That's but right. my point is, when I heard that people in Israel were doing that about a, a, a story that I have no emotional... I mean, I have an emotional connection to it as a Jew, but I don't really have like a societal connection to it. It didn't, it didn't like rock my world in the way 9-11 did because it didn't make me feel unsafe in the same way. Right. It made me understand all conspiracy theory in such an interesting way. To hear like a conspiracy theory that's half a world away, even though I'm more connected to Israel than probably most people right. in America are, it made me go, oh, wow, this is like it, – it's it both made me understand conspiracy theory and also realize how pathetic it is. Sure. And conspiracy theory is pathetic and also justified. I mean there are – things that are weird the civil the civilist experiments are what i would say is human beings i I like the word pathetic it's a little bit degrading but i'm including myself in this there is something kind of vulnerable about the way our brains work and when i see people and i i really enjoyed that the cubs one and stuff you, you know that we have this suspension of facts to put our our meaning onto symbols 
Oh, you know right, what I'm totally, yeah. So right. it's like in reality, what does it matter that the Cubs won? Why does it matter that they haven't won a hun- in 108 same, years like, because they weren't the same people 108 years ago? And yet, it's right meaningful. And I'm it sitting means there, so much. And I'm but, sitting there watching. I don't like baseball, and I don't like the Cubs. Like yeah. I'm not. I have need, connection but to neither. And I'm cheering for them for sure. And and I used to be way more like baseball's stupid. They're not even from Chicago. All those arguments. Now I'm like, no, it's the same thing as a beautiful play. Right. It's the same same thing is an amazing novel. Right. It's the same thing. And I and people need to get over that. I, I'm speaking to my old self. I'm like, no, men and his and their symbols. Like we love right. symbology and it helps us emote in ways that are very, very important. Uh, I don't know how we got back. Oh, but conspiracies, when you have what you keep making me think of is Trump and and not Trump. It's almost like there's Trump and then there's – you could say there's Hillary. But then there's another even bigger group that's just like not Trump. But when I see people incapable of understanding the appeal of Trump, I see the Israel-Palestine thing where you can't right. even – Right. Hey – and believe me, I un, you know, I've, I've unfriended people because they right. – somebody posted, Trump admitted he was wrong about what he said in the bus. That's repentance. When I repent, Jesus forgives me. Right. And I was like, unfriend. Right. You know, I just can't. I can't and I, I read can't that same post that. and I was like, unbutton. And I started jerking <laughs> off. Why? <laughs> Ignorance make me horny. No, um, I. But we need underst- to be. So I'm guilty of, of cutting people out of my Facebook feed because I can't stand it. But at the same time, it's really important that we don't. Just go like, well, that's the makings of like some sort of – which is what people kind of threat, the idea that there's going to be like some sort of civil war or something right. like that. That's the makings of it. If you can go, they're them and they're not human and they're stupid, you can get it. If yeah. you're really scared, like if you're really, really scared, like if I just blew up the house next to you, I bet you'd be 90% more likely to understand a Trump. No, you know I, I do hear you. You and- need a scary bully. I'm not saying you do. I am as against Trump as you can. But you need to, no, I, you need to I, understand where hum, humans are coming from. These are – this is you in another situation. I'm 100 percent with born you. Born in another place, born with different parents, different schools, yep. different beliefs, different values. It's you. It's I, it, There's no one in the other boat. I was reading – you know that I have family that is evangelical Christian. Oh, you wow. Know, they are, they're step family. They're not directly connected to me, but they are the sweetest, nicest people, as are almost all evangelical Christians with odious belief systems, Yeah, uh, in my opinion. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's very interesting. So I was reading— no, th- Those are my people. Like, yeah. They, yeah. Those are the be- Moshe, these are the best cookies I've ever had. And yeah. then secretly you're going, too bad you're going to burn for him. Right. <laughs> Just like these cookies aren't burned, you will be, cookie. Why are you calling me cookie, though? That's the part I don't like. I don't need the nickname at the end. So these are people, yeah, they are they are uh, straight up hardcore evangelical Christians, and I was reading their th- one of whom I unfriended because she posted something that equated homosexuality with child molestation, and I was like, okay, I think we've actually gone down this road far enough. I'm yeah, done. Yeah. But I still kind of like. Do you have anybody that you like Phantom follow? Oh yeah. You just like love every second of oh, it. Oh, and Facebook has figured out who these people are, and they're yeah. the first ones I see. <laughs> they're all like. <laughs> mid 20s midwestern I, oh, yeah. and i love them i it's not like a hate fall no i love them too. i love them actually facebook especially as an entertainer who has lots and lots of followers on on yeah. facebook has become a really odd way of having a voyeuristic experience with people that you don't know it's like yeah. i really have followed certain people's lives for a, t- a decade 
for a decade who I literally just they're just somebody that came to a show yeah, of mine 10 years that's ago me. and I'm like whoa I and can't it, believe that you know like Sally the, Susan Johnson from P- Topeka yeah. is getting married this weekend right. oh wow she uh, and people yeah. dying yeah. people announcing that they have cancer there's yeah, all this yeah, yeah. there's a weird kind of an uh, anonymous v- witnessing of yeah. people's tragedy and triumph that have has happened as a result it, of the internet as and well it's real but it's removed yeah like you don't really know them but you're invested in them so the, I've, I've watched a guy uh gain a lot of weight like somebody that uh-huh. i've known for 10 years and it's like filming a nature documentary i don't mean to uh, this is not to be condescending but you know if you're filming planet earth and you watch a uh, a zebra about to get attacked you don't stop it because you're like just observing it right you're like it's not really my place but sometimes like i'll see a post that they post about like trying to be healthy and it'll be like what he's eating and it's like exactly what the sugar industry wants you to think is a healthy thing uh-huh. but really you might as well be having six cokes or whatever right and you want to be like hey ah! but I, I, I don't because it's weird. I don't know. I will say this also about weight, and and this is so tangential. But I, I and but since we're talking about NPR things, yeah. I will say this. Act one. Act one. This was from This American Life. They did an episode Act that was two, based Act two. based on Lindy West's yeah. book Shrill and her stuff with weight and fat acceptance and stuff like that. Oh, that was. Uh, tell me, I'm fat. Yeah, great that, episode. That was so. I mean. It, it couldn't have been more effective rhetorical radio because I started off with one position when I yep. press play. Like and by the end of the episode, I was like, I am c- convinced. Yeah. I, like it worked. and Like you and became I, more sympathetic. Episode. Yeah. I was like, oh, I get it. Like uh, very, this is very not that I wasn't. I don't think I was like aggressively unsympathetic, but I certainly wasn't like, let me look for Emotion. why this is a problem. And it just right. worked. I just right. thought it was so interesting that the Jewish controlled media could manipulate my brain like that. No, I'm yeah. kidding. Yeah. That that. That in a one hour of radio, I could have a compassion center activated that I just wasn't paying attention to before. That to me is the most fascinating thing. Were you? T- wasn't it Frank Miller that cast spells into magic with a K? It's not Matt. Alan Moore. Alan Moore. Oh, yeah, comic book artist and he, and writer. He was talking about how you read his book and it makes you feel a certain way. That is a spell. Like uh-huh. I put a spell on you. The thing that's so fascinating to me, endlessly fascinating, which helps me get over, uh, pants again, is that there are things that can fundamentally shift us into more profound spaces, beautiful spaces, wonder-filled spaces, yeah. and, and more, as what happened to you, a compassionate place where you're like, you go in going, fat people, it's always their fault that they're fat, and then you hear three stories and you're like, oh, shit. Like, yeah, I just – I don't have that perspective anymore. And I will say this. This is going to sound like a, a plug and it is but like what we do as comics is like there's these different levels of it too like sometimes people are just like all you did was make me laugh and that was good enough it yeah. popped me out of this depression or it just makes me happy in a sad time and right. and that book that i wrote in in cash on the rye which i really encourage people to get <laughs> i get these emails where people like are like i read it in rehab and it like really gave me hope or i read it and yeah. uh, i gave it to my son who's struggling with addiction and it's like i was not writing a book to like touch people or like help people, but it's kind of cool that it had Absolutely. an emotional. I'm not saying it's like a touching to helping whatever. I'm just saying it's cool to do a product that touched, that made people feel a thing in that in that Maybe way. That's what we do. How old are you now? I'm 37. How old are you? Now? How old are you? 37. And we're both in a very similar place. I, I and we've both been here for years. You realize at a certain point, it's really 
the real juice is like helping and changing, feeding people. I just consider it yeah. feeding, feeding people. There's different types of food. And the things that fed me, I like to share with other people. Right. And I'm like, I am a, I've said this a million times on this podcast, I'm a help me. Please help me. And right. then some people are like, don't help me. I'm like, okay. But like when I talk about writing a book, I'm like, I'm writing a book because I'm collecting the things that helped me in this way. It's, and it's different than being books. nice. That's a different thing than being nice. Yeah. Right? Being nice is, uh, is passive. I don't think I'm a particularly nice person. Yeah. I mean, I think that I am... I care about people and I'm compassionate and I'm kind, but I don't think my personality is based. I mean, follow me on Twitter. Or, you know, I like to make fun of people. Yeah. I like the my my sense of humor is very dark and very uh, very sort of poking. You know, and people it rubs some people the right way, some people the wrong way. I don't think of myself as like an, a a de facto nice person. Yeah, but I do think of myself as a person that cares very deeply about change and and. And emotionality and the right, the the Which greater is, the greater good of the but world. Fuck being nice. I, I think nice is so overrated. Well, it just doesn't have an effect. It has an interpersonal effect, but it doesn't have a societal effect in the same way. Yeah. Was Malcolm X nice? Was Jesus nice? Yeah, that's, exactly. That's what I've been saying on the podcast lately. And in the evangelical community I grew up in, uh, we we really interpreted the gospel as to be like, be nice. Yeah. Smile. Be nice. Well, it's back to that evangelical Christian thing, isn't it? Because they're the nicest people in the world. And the things that some of them do, not all of them, but that some of the policies of the evangelical Christian world uh, enact are the, the greatest form of cruelty in the world. I yeah. mean, truly not cruel. Not nice. Yeah. Not nice. But, so what is niceness? What is polite matter? But that's what I'm saying. Why are we fascinated with movies like what was it, uh, um, the movie uh, where he teaches the kid how to drum, play the drums? Oh, uh, Whiplash. J.K. Oh, Whiplash. Yeah. Why are we fascinated, the man without a face? These stories of like the grumpy, not nice, truth-telling life changer right. is so much more interesting to me than just somebody that's going to tell me, you're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. My yeah. Favorite, my favorite teacher in high school, Mr. Brown, he wasn't mean, and now we're Facebook friends. Now uh-huh. I totally, his feed is in my feed. He gained a lot of weight. No, no. <laughs> that's him. <laughs> Mr. Brown, you need to look at the sugar that's been added to your smoothie. Um, no, it wasn't Mr. Brown. But uh, he wasn't not nice, but he was also strict. Right. We were like shitty high school kids. Yeah. And he didn't fuck around. That's an interesting idea that there's a big difference between being kind and in between being nice and being kind, That's right. I think is what we're getting at. That's you know? what I'm saying. And I often think nice is con- – I've said this before. I've said everything before. I, I think nice is often confused with stupid. You're a nice person, but you happen to be able to think of really funny burns for people. And, and I'm the <laughs> sure. same way. But sometimes people are just kind of like they got a running vacuum cleaner in their brain. So they're just kind of like, hey, and they seem really nice. Right. And I, <laughs> they I couldn't I, think of anything to say about your shirt. Well, that's funny. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I was at a party the other day and Elon Gold was there. Do you know you know Elon Gold? That's the ninety minute. Like okay. That. Do you know Elon Gold? Yeah. So he came up to me. We haven't really talked much, and he's a religious Jew. Is he? Yeah, he's, he's like a, an observant Jew. He is funny. Yeah, and he's nice. Yeah, he's very nice. Um, and, good and looking. Good looking. He's got it all. Uh, observant Jew. Good looking. Nice. Uh, those are the. That's it. Two out of three. Eight bit. <laughs> I don't want any. Not, we don't. Jews. No, we don't want nice. We just talked about it. Ah, funny. So he he came up to me. We're at a party, and he's like, "Oh, Moshe." He's like, um. I just found this so fascinating. What I, he goes, we're talking, and he's like, so you don't, you like, don't like Judaism, right? And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? No, I love, I love Judaism. He's like, well, no, I, I saw your act, which is very funny, by the way. So he was being complimentary. Yeah. He, he, but you're like, you know, you really make fun of your Jewish upbringing and like make fun of the Hasidic people that raised you. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, right. So you're like a not 
non-observant. He made an assumption that I rejected eschewed and was antagonistic toward religious judaism because because i make fun of it right and i'm like that's so crazy to me because i'm like my whole world is about finding the things that i hold most sacred to me and teasing them and making fun of them i yeah it's all gallows humor everything is gallows humor and i don't find anything so so sacred i find things that are not really my area like i don't want to make a fun of make a fun of a a black (laughs) slavery it's not for me it's not for me. That's not my area, yeah. right? But I'm sure that there's a black comic out there that does a great slavery bit. Yeah. This is why I think this whole idea of punching up is like just some concoction. It's like, who made up punching up? That's just a per- person said that's what you're supposed to do in comedy. You're not supposed to punch up, punch down, punch up. You're just supposed to make joke. Yeah. And, and I don't think about great. I don't think it has to do with the greater good. I don't. Maybe there's an argument to be made that certain jokes add to the evil in society, but I don't think so. I just think. Th- I love Judaism. It's I love funny. my religion. It's funny. I know there's a comedian. Oh, boy. How are we going to talk about this without outing somebody? But I know there's someone that you and I have talked about. I'm mm-hmm. just going to wink at you. Okay. Who, without a doubt, I'm like, this makes uh, women look bad. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it, this isn't that scandalous. I'm just saying. So I tend to lean towards what you put out. Forget that specific example. Yeah. Whenever comics just go up on stage and kind of reflect back what like most people are just kind of thinking without thinking about it, yeah, that I think that can be destructive. I I just I don't see in my in, I get it. Like there are certain jokes that I hear and I go, yuck, gross. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, not like I'm saying any joke. It's free speech at all costs. Right, hurt people. Right, fuck people. Right. I'm just saying I don't subscribe to the notion that the ultimate positioning of the comedian should be find the place of good and right towards that place because it's like i don't i don't think that's true what if it's what if it's poke fun of the place of absurd levels of of evil and and in so doing make them look ridiculous i've been thinking about this nonstop for the past couple weeks very interesting that you brought it up i want to see everything reflected on the stage for the most part i do think ignorance and cheerleading basic things people are already believing isn't great but like when like Bill Burr is my favorite, and Bill says things that just kind of are fundamentally offensive. I'm not I'm not saying they offend me, but if they right. offend you, I completely get it. Right. In fact, I would say part of the fun is that it offends me. Right. Like I'm right. like, oh, I'm being offended. This is like shining lights and weird things, but I'm laughing and I'm offended and all this stuff. And I was like, this is this is what you know Freud and Jung call the shadow self, and it needs expression, and it needs to find it in art. Ugliness, grotesqueness. Halloween is grotesque and violent and death. We need these uh, rituals to exonerate otherwise those feelings. Otherwise, they just kind of go untended to, and I think that's where you get crazy people. Well, the argument is, and it's an argument that I don't subscribe to, is that by – by joking about these dark things, we are encouraging those dark things to grow in civil society in reality. Mm. And that's the argument, right? By by making a, a joke about rape, you are encouraging and fomenting rape culture. By make, and I just don't think that that's true. I don't think that it's not true. I think that basically rape culture, race, race, systemic racism, they don't need 
any help to grow. They are existent and pervasive and everywhere you look. And I, I, I don't necessarily reject the idea that, uh, that, jo- that joking about it takes away from the serious dialogue that needs to take place around those two things. I just don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that they, it creates those things. It's so and interesting. It I hear, animates them. I hear what you're saying at the same time. And this is what I'm talking about not being binary. I hear what you're saying and I, and I do think it's a valid point. Then I can also see a young man fucked up with another woman who's very drunk and it seems like she's not into it. And just somewhere in the deep recesses of his mind, he thinks, well, I saw – I know this is absurd, but I can, I can believe it. I saw that comedian and he told a joke about rape and everyone laughed. And I'm talking about – you see a commercial for, for Coke and they're on the beach and they're drinking Coke and then you're more likely to buy a Coke in the store. I can't handle how impressionable and stupid we are. Mike Birbiglia – here's a, a safer example. Yeah. Talks about how many comedians have a joke where it's like, don't drink and drive, but hey, they can't catch us all. Right. And Birbiglia had some joke. I forget if it was his or what, but some family was like, no, I don't even think he was confronted. He just was like, no, that joke is destructive. Like, uh-huh. Someone is more likely to not leave their car at the club and call right. the cab because he was like, hey, they can't catch us all. I tend to lean that way. But here's the fucked up part. I enjoy sometimes when comedians – play the part. It's like putting on a mask. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's why I like Bill. I don't think Bill is a hateful person, but he puts on the mask of the angry, like, Irish Boston dad, and it's like Archie Bunker. Right. It's like these things, and we're like, why? I don't know, but this is somehow a type of entertainment, and it is. Well, this is... like getting spanked. It's like a lot of... Our fucking psyche has a lot it wants that we're not giving it and it used to be you'd duck into, like, a cafe in Amsterdam at 2 in the morning and you'd see someone like Bill. And right. you like, this is nuts. But now Bill gets uh, – a clip of it gets in your Facebook feed and you read it at 11 a.m. at work. Uh-huh. I get why people are offended, but I also get why we need ugliness. Right. I think that's what I was saying. Reflected on stage sometimes. I agree. I think that's what I was saying. And I want to, like, try to really clarify, like – I don't have a fully articulated feeling about – I mean like for example, like rape jokes in my personal act, I've sort of gotten rid of them. Yeah. Primarily because they're ineffective at this point. You know, they're just yeah. like uh, – it's it's like it's such a quagmire that I've kind of taken myself a little bit out of the – out of it. So I'm not trying to say, oh, definitely I know I understand rape culture and I understand what adds to it and what doesn't add to it. And let me tell you, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is I agree with what you, what you are – and I think this goes beyond comedy into dialogue and discourse in general, is that we are at a place with discourse in general where it has become acceptable to shout down the opposing person's perspective, which I, I always say in my mind and when I talk to people, what I get that you have told the bigot to shut the fuck up. And if that is your goal, then you have accomplished your goal. But what good has come of it? And the counter have what dialogue has taken place? The counter argument I would say among the like kind of left super woke left is I'm not here to dialogue with bigots anymore. We're just here, you know. It's to not disrupt it. I, I'm not here anymore to try to yeah have have a communication with them. It's not my job to be an ambassador to anti racism, and that's totally fine, right? But again, if you just like we were saying with the Trump thing. If no communication happens, then nothing ever changes. So if the goal is to tell them, fuck you, you've done it. Mm. If the goal is to actually move the marker forward in civil society, I don't think any any work has taken place. It's around the – I've been thinking so much about this lately. The idea of 
calling white people who are engaged in privilege racists, mm. right? Very popular thing to do right now, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So they, you, you see a, a white figure who is doing something stupid, right? Like doing something publicly stupid around race, right? Like there was some, a bunch of examples in pop culture that we've seen, in comedy that we've seen. I don't necessarily want to shine a lot on any particular one of them. Some of them are my friends and some of them. So, okay, this person did a thing that was uh, sort of tone deaf racially, right? Mm-hmm. Or just or, – or rubbed some people the wrong way racially. Mm-hmm. So then the answer to that is that person is a racist. And then that person, of course, says, I am not a racist. I, because race calling someone and then you know you make fun of the white person you go ah uh-huh, you know oh you a, a white person can't stand being called racist it's like the worst thing you can call it's like a, the worst thing you can call a white person haha uh-huh, except you know that we're the ones that have to deal with actual racism so that's fair and true right mm-hmm. except that we aren't making a differentiation between someone that has done a racist action as jay smooth says you know when when you call somebody out for doing something racist you, you it's important to say what you did was racist even that is going to make somebody defensive, but it's very different than saying what you are is a racist, mm. right? Mm. So what you did was racist, not what who you it's are. It's almost like you just ate chocolate, not you're a chocoholic. That's, <laughs> it's exactly like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but that helps. Yeah. What you did was racist. What That was racist, not you are a racist. Right, right, right. So if you call someone a racist, they will react defensively. Always, 100% of the time. And, and, and I think that a lack of compassion, and I get it, by the way, if you're listening right now, it's not the job of the person of color to be compassionate to the white person's interaction with racism, mm. right? It's the, the power dynamics are switched, and I get it. Like, white people need to just deal with and own up to their own racist uh, sort of privilege and blah, blah, blah. But it's also important to talk about what words mean, right? So racism has expanded, right? It, the racism that you hear, if I call you a racist, is the classic definition of racism, which is you are hateful and think that other races are less than you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But what, what racism means now is not only hateful bigot that thinks other people of other races are less than you, it also has come to encompass a white person that thinks they're an ally that has done something stupid, ignorant, or racist in the name of just privilege, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So when you call a, a person a racist, they think, I'm not hateful. I'm not a hateful bigot that thinks other races are less than me. And you're saying, no, no, no. I'm saying what you're doing is is engaging in white privilege and blah, blah, blah. It's just important to, like this idea that, you know, this idea that uh, there's no such thing as reverse racism, right? Mm-hmm. You know about this? Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist because racism uh, must need a power differential, right? In order to be racist, you must be empowered. You must be privileged, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a very interesting and nuanced intellectual point about what racism is, right? And they will say, even people that are talking about this are like, no, what you're talking about is, they often say prejudice, but that's actually, I think, the wrong word. Bigotry, is it right? Or bias. Bias or whatever. Okay. That was NPR too where they were like, you're not racist, you're biased. That's that was interesting. A big thing. Uh, yeah. At, what was the difference that they made? They were like, I understand that you arrest a lot of people that fit this profile. You need to acknowledge that you are biased. Your right. brain cannot help it. And admitting it is the first step. It's like, I'm not, that's exactly what they did. They had these specialists come and talk to cops and they're like, we're not saying you're racist. We're saying you're biased. That's exactly <laughs> that's exactly the problem. Going back to the criminal justice system, when Mike Pence was in the vice presidential debate and he was saying, "You say that there's systemic that there's institutionalized racism in the police department, but this last guy that got shot was shot by a black officer." 
that's the most boneheaded, wrongheaded understanding of what institutionalized racism is. Because if it's in the institution, it actually will transcend the racial makeup of the specific interaction that you're talking about. Mm. Because the whole positioning of the department and police departments in general is that black and brown people are, you know, more guilty than white people just mm. gut feeling those are the people we go for when you do stop uh, stop and frisk you're not stopping and frisking the white yuppie you're stopping and frisking the young and we all do it every single one of us the most non-racist black people do it yeah you see a certain black person that in your mind fits your bias uh sensor and you go <gasps> or you know what i'm saying I everybody this, does i it. know this is absurd and people diehard fans of this podcast will know i'm gonna diehard uh, fans will love this ah, i'm about to make this point but when I worked at Bennigan's in the south side of Chicago, I was very interested. It was the first time I had seen uh, a lot of the wait staff was black and a lot of the clients were black. And they would profile tables. You'd see a table of young black kids look like they just got out of high school or whatever. And it's like, I don't want to wait on them because they're not going to tip me. This is a, this is a bias and I, I do not endorse these beliefs. But you would see my friend – I, I won't say their name, would be like, I don't want that table. It's Mr. Brown again or whatever. Ah, <laughs> it's your professor. Mr. Brown. <laughs> Why do you think he gained so much weight? He's working at Bennigan's. <laughs> that place is a high-calorie place. <laughs> but that was when you say it, – it's not the same thing, obviously, but you see that bias doesn't really care uh, if you're black. You, you know what I would have done mm-hmm. if I had been at Bennigan's? I would have walked up to that black table and I would have said, you guys better tip me. And then they would have gotten very upset. And I'd be like, because I know that young black kids don't tip. And they would have gotten more upset. And I'd be like, so who's going to tip me? And they would have been like, what are you talking about? us like this. This is racist. Then I would have pointed at the wall. And I'd be like, you're on very much hidden camera. (laughs) It's right over there. We're exposing racism and cameras. Look into the iris. (laughs) So, okay. So, oh, so this idea of reverse racism. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, that's an intellectual point, right? Did, and, I, did and, I understand your point? The black cop was that at all like black? Yes, people exactly. Having a bias? Right. So I want to make sure I'm tracking. No, that's exactly. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. Is like that's institutionalized racism, right? Yeah, yeah. And so when a black cop is is responsible for shooting an unarmed black civilian, that doesn't. That's not an example of how there isn't institutionalized racism in the police department. It's actually an example of how pervasive the institutionalized racism is that it's seeped into the culture all the way past skin color. It doesn't care. That's exactly right. You're a cop before you're white or black. Right, because you are influenced by the culture of the police department that you work in. Just like, okay, you are right, sure. So, so... Again, I feel a little bit uncomfortable with this, like, two white guys breaking down what racism is, but we, this, yeah, it is what it is. We get some grief for that sometimes. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, I have had these conversations. At, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't solely limit my uh, race conversations to an intellectual vacuum of white, whiteness, just sure. in case anybody's wondering. Sure. Whatever. I don't know if that makes me a champion or an idiot. But, so black, uh, sorry, reverse. So the reverse racism argument. Racism. It's an interesting intellectual point. You have to be empowered and and in privilege in order to be racist because racism speaks to the systemic societal oppression that people of color in this country feel right mm-hmm. is like what good oh i see you you do something biased to me what i call reverse racism right you're a black person you're a brown person they you do did some, this sorry, yeah they did this on the office the oh, British right? office where he tells the joke where the punchline's a big black cock. Uh-huh. And then a black guy comes up right as he's saying the punchline and he goes is it a big black and he stops, uh-huh, you know, sure. classic office. And then he goes, oh, is it the one with a uh, big black clock? That's a good one, says the black guy. Uh-huh. And then later, 
they're, David Brent still gets in trouble for it, and that he's like, he laughed. Uh-huh. Like he uses that example. He was like, he he had heard it before. He liked it. And then she goes, well, why is it only white people should be offended by racism? Like, like it, you, it, does that make sense? She yeah, was like, yeah. It doesn't make a difference. We're, we're offended that he liked it too, basically. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah that's an interesting <laughs> idea. I like that. That's cool. <laughs> is that kind of the waters we're, we're well, swimming into now? What I think I'm getting at is, and I, I know we're getting out into the weeds of, of this, but that's what okay. I think I'm getting at is, so you're a person of color and you do something that I call reverse racist. And the reason that that's not... Can you give me an example of reverse racism? Call me a white chicken bread. Oh, I call you white chicken bread? Yeah. I didn't think that or was... kick my ass because I'm white. I mean, I had that happen. I got held hostage when I was a kid, literally, by uh, two guys with baseball bats making me and my brother kiss their shoes for getbacks for slavery, you know? So I look at that and get I say, backs. yeah, this is our payback for slavery, motherfucker. That was the line. Wow. Right? So, you know, I look at that and I go... That's reverse racist. I was targeted because of my race. Isn't right? that just racist? Well, the reverse... Well, you're right. I, the, I see what you're saying. Actually, it's neither, according to this new definition, because this is what I'm trying to get at. So that happened to me. That's, that's, I guess that's not racist. I that, see what you're that's saying. That's a memory. So what I get out of that... that I don't know inter- what this is. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> what I get out of that interaction, right, is I feel bad. Yeah. My feelings are hurt. I'm scared, right? Yeah. That sucks. Baseball bats? The other way around... The real racism, according to the uh, contemporary uh, race relation think the th- thought, is I could I could g- do that to you, but then the next thing you do is you apply for a scholarship and you can't get it, and then the next thing you do from me from the bigoted I- interaction you had is drive and you get pulled over by the police and then you're the guy that's the B and E that's then s- sent into a racist so into a racist criminal justice system. Yeah. Or then I try to, you know, walk down the street and everybody is afraid of me. And so that's what racism is. Racism is this multi-tiered architecture of oppression. And it is not racism when I experience an unpleasant uh, interaction due to my race. I hear, I hear that. That's that is the point. Okay. And I think it's a good point and a true point. But it really... It really is about the definition of the word. It's a really, really specific argument about what the word racism means as opposed to mm. these other things. Now, I think that they're right. I think that that's a correct analysis, right? That that is the only kind of racism that really matters. That reverse racism doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter when a white person feels objectified or, or, pre- or, or, or hurt because, of their, because they were involved in a racial interaction that targeted them because they were white. That's not important. Even though feelings are night are important are somewhat significant, they're not important in the way society is, right? I get that. However, nobody knows that outside of a very specific small petri dish of, in, of, of leftist intellectuals. So when you say to someone there's no such thing as reverse racism, they will immediately go, yeah, there is. That person called me a honky. I felt that was racist because they don't know that you've done some deconstruction of the term racism. They're just a dumb white person that is like, but, but why do you call me honky? I, that's a reverse racist. So you have to unpack this. This I think that's, uh, that, that these sort of definition-based semantic arguments are not necessarily helpful to the greater dialogue around oppression in this in this society i don't know how telling a white person that's never heard about this new idea of racism that actually uh, there's no such thing as reverse racism why that's helpful when the more helpful conversation is let me tell you what i mean 
by racism. Let me tell you what the word racism means to me today because it's expanded from what it used to mean and it's just bigotry. Right. It's bigger than that. Well, isn't that the Richard Pryor bit where it's a white guy and a black guy fighting and he's like uh, – I don't want to say all the words. But <laughs> sure. He, he's like cracker and he's like – I'm trying to think of a non-N-word insult for a black person. He says that. Mm-hmm. And that goes back and forth. And then his, the point of the bit is... I just come up with all of them. Oh, you want a non-N-word insult for a black person? I got... <laughs> and then the white guy finally says the N-word. And it changes everything. Uh-huh. And isn't that an illustration of what you're saying? Yeah, that's it's a like, perfect example. It's not fair. Yeah. You might know... Uh, you've been called cracker. But you know that for whatever it means, zooming out a little bit historically, culturally, whatever it is, it's not the same as... That word. I think that's a perfect example. That bit's a well, perfect Richard example. Richard beat us to this. And, but here's why, it, here's why it matters, in my opinion. It, Trump is why it matters. Yeah. So the white man in society is feeling... Isn't it weird when this podcast comes out, we'll know? We'll know. I was thinking about that already. But when uh, the, the, the white man in society is feeling... Joe DeRose has a great bit where he goes, he was taping his special. Yeah. He was like, by the time this comes out, we'll know who won. If it's Hillary, uh, some, some, some. And if it's Trump, I'm sure you found my body by now. <laughs> that <laughs> That's was awesome. Really funny. <laughs> I think that Trump really speaks to this. Like the yeah. reason Trump is doing so well, in my opinion. Is partially because people are sick of party politics and they think yeah. anybody that's not of the system is is better. He's a handgun in the booth. Yeah, but the other reason is the white men, white people in society are seeing the ground underneath them shift, and they feel under attack. Right. Whether it's real or not, it's real to them, and they feel like under attack. I forget who it was. Somebody on this podcast told the story like it's a long line of white people trying to get into a Walmart, and then at the front of the line, all these. Other non, as I said, don't say non-white, but, you know, other races getting in ahead of them, other people getting ahead of them. And they were like, hey, I was trying to ride out this white male thing. Right. And I just got, it would be funny if I said gypped here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be accurate. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Like, you know. So we, they're angry. They're, they thought that America was one thing and demographics are making America of another thing. Right. And so they're going, uh, who's to blame here? Well, I think there's Mexicans spilling over the border, even though Im- illegal immigration has been flat for like a long time. Yeah. There is no uh, uptick in illegal immigration. NPR. So I will. No. I heard so, that on NPR. It yeah, was I did balanced too. I out did by too. the number I of people too. that leave. No, I did too, unfortunately. Ah! <laughs> this is a real this is a real two white people talking race. All of our statistics are based on this American Life episode. Show me the money. Oh god. Show me the money for our pledge drive. As you know, here on NPR we require contributions from our listener support. So that's one thing. That's and then one. on the other one Living is on the pledge. Is Islam. I mean, this is, it's just so clear. Okay, so right, so you go, I don't care about your white fragility and your white feelings, right? That's the, the left, the anti racism left argument. I don't care about white fragility, white feelings. I shouldn't have to come to you and make you feel okay because you who's in a position of privilege is feeling threatened. However, it becomes ineffective when, as a result of their fear and as a result of thinking of the, them as an other that we're not communicating with, which I'm guilty of myself, they then elect a candidate like Donald Trump. That's mm. this is the consequence of the lack of communication. Now maybe uh, the the left has a lot of work to do, I think, and I think the right obviously is has tons of work to do. They elected a guy whose entire platform is is racism. It reminds me of the Zion idea of peace at any cost. Yeah. It's almost like let's put all the valid you us versus them aside and just say fuck us, fuck them. 
we need peace. There needs to be something that transcends white, black. There needs to be something that speaks to humanity. I don't know how, how we do that. Yeah. Doesn't it seem like there could be some sort of like a Martin Luther King uh, real revolutionary that's like, we need to do this. We need to get – we need to see everybody as a brother. Maybe. Everybody as a sister. We need to be in this together. Maybe, but we forget how hated Martin Luther King was in his own time. I didn't forget. I think about it all the time. Or, or, <laughs> no. He was, though. He wasn't thought of as a, as, a, as a unique, special man in his own time. White people in general thought of him as like the most dangerous, destructive force in civil society. They thought of him the way they think of Black Lives Matter now, but more. Because, really? oh, yeah. I mean, J. Edgar Hoover said that the black liberation movement was the most dangerous uh, element in society. And this is, I believe, we're still in the Cold War. Yeah, we're still in the Cold War. So he's like, you know, you watch that Bastards of the Party, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI straight up started the Bloods and Crips, straight up. Like, they, they didn't, like, they basically turned these two groups of black community activism organizations against one another because they were terrified of the power that could happen if black... The, uh, if black society got together in harmony and truly did what those two organizations were trying to do, which was community activism, they tur- and the Black Panthers were involved in that as well. They turned them on each other. And you mean they- the Bloods and the Crips? The Bloods, the Crips originally started as a community activism group in South Central. That is just the truth, right? They were not a violent gang, but what happened was they split. They were there were there were two different groups of these black activism. Uh, they were kind of rival groups, and they literally assassinated one of the leaders and so that they would turn on each other and turn they did and then it they turned into a a violent bloody street gang that had no connection to its roots because that's what they've been doing that's what they've been doing the whole this whole time ronald reagan cooked up an answer yeah oh that's uh colors kanye 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 yikes we're not gonna solve it i don't i don't think we're gonna get back to alan font (laughs) nope what I'm saying is we've hit the two-hour mark. It's so interesting. I'm going to watch Passage of the Party, and I'm going to obviously keep thinking about all of these things. But I do want to talk about you, your sobriety. I want to talk about meat. I want to talk about Funt. Okay. And also, you want, you're trying to have a kid. You have a new show coming up, and you've been married. Oh, shit. I forgot to you mention any of these significant life events. I know. Isn't that fun? It does feel like... Uh, Isn't that fun? Yeah, it is fun. <laughs> Actually, the fun thing we can drop. All right, I'll cross off Funt. And we can drop meat. I'm open to dropping meat. Yeah, we can drop meat, too. Because of the water. We kind of hit that. Yeah, water. We got that. thing, vagina, (laughs) chicken vagina goo. I have Uh, a brand new show coming out on Comedy Central. I'm very excited about it, actually. And it really is about conversations like this. And I think it really is about the idea that we're... I think we're teasing at, which is that all conversations are worth having, and that shouting down opposing views doesn't actually move the communicative marker forward. And what's more important is to just have the conversations. You know, just like I'd rather you be racist and allowed to say your racist thought than you secretly be racist and nothing ever change. And mm-hmm. so we're doing this show on Comedy Central. It's kind of like a Phil Donahue for the internet generation around all these kinds of really hot button topics about, you know, woke stuff and anti-woke stuff and you know uh uh it's basically a daytime talk meets a comedy central comedy i'm super i'm really it, what's it called it's called problematic problematic yeah and i i'm i'm thrilled about it i think it's like a an, an empty uh empty space on tv right now like real fun real comedy but talking about like everybody asks me i go i'm doing this like phil donahue thing and they go oh like a like a satire 
And I just think that's such an interesting window into where people are at mentally. Like they think if I say Phil Dunning, they go, oh, like a fake one? It's like, <laughs> no, no, we're really going to have conversations. Like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> like they think it's a sketch or something. Yeah. yeah or like, you know, a, a, a fake version of are it. Are you like, going to go in the audience with a microphone? Absolutely. Yeah. Ah! All audiences are welcome to come and have their voices heard on Comedy Central, and it's really it's a fun. And Joe DeRosa is involved too. He kind of was like our sidekick in the in the in the pilot taping, and it was really cool. He was like uh, we were calling him the lead audience member because he's sitting in the audience, and he's like he's got a live mic, and he's like, "I actually, you're full of shit, Moshe." Which I did. And there's a cool dynamic there. There's like, uh, "No, man, I think you're full of shit. You're not looking at it." Yeah, exactly. You're not looking at it. It was fine. Yeah, so that's I'm, exciting. I can't. I couldn't be more excited about. It. I mean, who knows? You I know? love Joe to to death. Obviously, he's yeah. one of my favorite people. I mean, who knows about Joe DeRosa? I mean, he might be dead by then because of Trump. <laughs> ah, depending on how things go. Body. Well, what about booze and weed? That's interesting. I mean, this is think, a long conversation. You think, uh, just give, we can we can figure out when we want to be done. Sure, but uh, I got that splinter cell at home. <laughs> oh, that's what you're thinking about right now? It has crossed my that's mind. That's funny. That's that's one of the beautiful parts about video games, isn't it? When you're like, it's calling. Yeah, it's a, it really is actually a cool part of video games. I it's agree. Like, it gives you this beautiful little silver lining. Yeah. And that's the scary part about uh, being so comfortable is like, have you read uh, OK Player One or Ready? Yeah, Ready okay, Player One. Ready Player One. Have you read that? No. It's really good, but basically it speaks to like such a believable future where we're just like, the world sucks and we've got everything we need. Just click it. And we just like VR technology gets to the point where you're just like, you know, what? I'm just going to I'm actually just going to play video games instead of everything. Is that right? Yeah, I'm just going to be here. Well, people I'll, already do that. Yeah. World of Warcraft They're really close. and all that stuff. Totally. Oh, Brent has this great story about a friend that he had. I don't know if I should even tell this story. In Weinbach? Yeah. But basically he had this friend that um, he was stuck in a video game for a long time. He was a doctor. He got an MD. His parents forced him to get an MD. And actually, I shouldn't tell this story. This isn't my story to tell. Should I just do it anyway and tell you if I need to cut it out? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, he's an, <laughs> he's an MD. Gets a fucking medical degree. Then, to please his parents, then he's like, cool, I got my medical degree. World of Warcraft. Like, doesn't come out of his apartment for like four years. I mean, like, nobody sees him. You know? What? Like, he's just like playing World of Warcraft, getting pizzas delivered. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he's good. No need to leave. Then four years goes by. He emerges. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. I, I met a girl in World of Warcraft, and we're getting married. And then he meets her, and she's a guy. And then he's uh, disappeared back. And no one's seen him since. He's just like back in World of Warcraft. Oh, my God. He's a doctor. He's oh a doctor. Oh, my God. <laughs> they never voice chatted, assuming... Uh... I mean, look, I hope this story's true. It's a story I've heard. I don't know all the details, but it feels good. That's like, you know what isn't my story to tell? I forget, who told me the story? might have been on this podcast. was the girl who wakes up at the guy's apartment, and he's like, you can let yourself out. He goes to work. She takes a shit, realizes, <laughs> realizes the toilet uh, doesn't flush. So she, uh, she gets a Ziploc bag, and she takes it I out of this. the toilet. Uh, you know, dog shit sure. style, zips it up, writes a note, like, thanks for a great time, walks out of the apartment, door locks behind her. She realizes she left the shit. Next to the Next note. Next to the note. Oh, my God. Said, thanks for a great time. <laughs> That's, it's the best it's story. It's so good because it's, it's the like best story. there's no follow-up needed. You're just like, yeah, no, I'm a player. Fuck you. 
Like that's you know that's the only thing you have to just commit to that. Like, yeah, I'm a terrible person. Yeah, but I that's what I do every time. <laughs> every time I fuck somebody. <laughs> Who is that? I don't remember. Fans wow. of the podcast could leave in the comments on the Facebook if they remember who told that well, story. Speaking of sobriety and things that aren't my story to tell, I will tell you from my years in 12-step groups, the greatest blackout stories I have ever heard. They're, okay. very, they're very close. And they're very short. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 co- I collected them, and they're all real good. <laughs> One guy started drinking, woke up in Jerusalem. He started drinking in San Francisco, woke up in Jerusalem. Great story. Wow. One guy started drinking, woke up, uh, was in a fight, fighting, beating someone up, and was like, I don't remember, but he must have deserved it. Just continued to beat the guy up. No understanding of what. Whoa. One guy started, this one I have kind of a hard time believing, started drinking, woke up in a threesome with his girlfriend and his best friend, stayed out of the blackout long enough to process everything that was happening and went... Fuck yeah, suck his dick, and then fell back into the blackout. Don't know if I believe that one. That one's very hard for me to believe. Wait, why? I don't know. Just like it just feels so perfect. Fuck yeah, suck his dick, and then blah, blah, blah. I don't know. <laughs> this one, and the most disturbing one, I believe. Guy started drinking, woke up in a little girl's bedroom, and was like, "I don't know where I am," and just like sn- like left. snuck out of the house and left. So why do you want to drink again? <laughs> <laughs> Those are the reasons why. I don't Here, Here's inter- so the last guest on the podcast was Jimmy from Jimmy Eat World and he was talking about not drinking mm-hmm. he, I think he had a problem. Sounded like he had a problem. Uh, although he didn't tell stories like that. But anyway, he stopped drinking. Yeah. Um and I felt guilty because I was telling him my example was there is a heart softening quality for me. One glass of wine. Uh-huh. I was like, I watch Transparent. I already said this, but I watch Transparent sober. It will be very moving to me. Right. If I watch Transparent with Valerie, who's crying, I will cry. Or if I'm alone and have one glass of wine. One glass of wine is the equivalent of sitting right. with Valerie crying, and then I'll start crying. Right. So there is a guy like me. What about one glass of wine in a tempur mattress being sucked out by <laughs> a guy that used to be sober? Why do you want back? Is it for stuff like that? No, I will tell you. Uh, it's you know how we're talking about like there's layers of this this stuff you know when we're talking about the other the other racism and comedy and the way people react to stuff there are layers to what it means to drink from a person that's sober and by the way I will let me just clarify I don't actually want to drink mm-hmm. I don't have any real sometimes I do have a desire to like smoke weed that sounds cool you didn't or drink like, or smoke on your honeymoon no I didn't wow no and I I, I think about um. You know, having a glass of wine sounds really nice. You know, with Valerie, she's crying. We're both watching Transparent. No, but I think about... I wake up just long enough to go, yes, suck his dick. <laughs> and then I go back. And then we all wake up in Jerusalem in a little girl's bedroom. What the hell? Who's... We're in Jerusalem. The story. Yeah, we're in Jerusalem. Why, why is this happening? Whose house is this? And then it's like, ah, it's my house. I'm the guy that shot Yitzhak Rabin. And look over there. You're on Israeli candid camera. camera. Wow. And then we pull a rope. And from the ceiling, thousands of Fig Newton. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by D-Ray and Tig Notaro. Uh, excellent. Okay, so where was... Okay, so I got sober when I was 15. Yeah. I went to rehab. I went to rehab three times by the time and I turned you, 15. Are, are you dabbling with the theory that it was circumstantial, that you were just like a young... I'm not dabbling with the theory. I would say all evidence points to that. Like you're not a chemically dependent I don't, person? I don't... 
I have come to a point where I, it is difficult for me. And by the way, sometimes when I talk about this, I get uncomfortable, not because it's not true for me, but because I understand that some of the stories that people in recovery tell themselves, whether I believe them any longer or not, are very useful stories. Mm. And one of the main stories that, they, that you tell yourself in 12-step in is that you are in a static form of spiritual existence. And that form is alcoholic. And that is a spiritual form, right? It's not a, a relationship with a substance necessarily. It is a state of in, unchangeable, intan, in, in, inescapable uh, spiritual restlessness. Mm-hmm. That is what it means truly to be an alcoholic and drug addict is to be fundamentally ill at ease and that alcohol is merely the thing that made that ill at ease feeling go away. And that God and twelve step is now the thing that will make, and helping others is now the thing that will make that spiritual set, state of disease go away. Go away. Yep. The people even say that I was in a state of dis alcoholism is a disease disease, mm-hmm. right? So that is a very important part of understanding yourself as a twelve as a sober person in twelve step because it means it's a very simple. You get back to binary thought. It's a very simple binary way of looking at yourself. But it's peace at any cost. It's, yeah, it's like, that's exactly let's, right. Let's do this. We need an extreme measure here because you're killing yourself. And nuance is not what you need when you come into AA. Again, it's like when I was talking uh, to Norman Lear and I was trying to like hint at, does he ever feel despair or whatever? And at a certain age, I think you're just like, dude, I don't fuck with that. Uh-huh. That narrative doesn't help me. Right. I know you're 37 and you can go like, oh, what happens when we die? Yeah. When your friends all start dying, you start telling yourself, you start humming a different tune. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's really interesting. And it's not better or worse. It's just a different tune. I'm humming this tune. Right. I'm humming my... Uh, late 30s tune. He's humming yeah. his early 90s tune. It's totally. just different tunes. Yeah, right. So go on. You, so they, yeah, the, the harmony of the tune that plays when you get sober. Uh, the One of the problems, I think, with, with for me, with 12-step stuff is that the primary... For, and for me? What I do? Uh-huh. A wait, chomp chomp. Oh, that's right. <laughs> a mush mush. <laughs> like, if it hadn't been you, I still would have thought of it. For me? What I what do? I do? A chomp chomp. A chomp chomp. A mush mush. A mush what was mush. the other thing? A scrape scrape? Some, there was some... Oh, uh, artichoke. That's right. What do you do with a giant <laughs> A scrape scrape. <laughs> so funny. Um, so funny. We've had so much fun on this show. I know. Over the years. We, we've recorded most of the fun we've had. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's um, we've had off, off, off mic fun. So I. I guess. Anyway, I, I don't want to get into like deconstructing my problems with twelve step. But you theology. don't think you have the disease. I don't know that I any longer find it a resonant description of what it means to be an alcoholic mm. at all for anybody. It doesn't work for me any longer to think of anyone in a, in a permanent state of spiritual uh, this thing or that thing. It's like people evolve, people change. And so I think a lot of times when people who are my age got sober very young think about what would it be like if I wasn't sober anymore. It's not what would it be like if I could get fucked up. It's have I been honest with myself about my spiritual state this whole time? Mm. Have I been, have I defined, has it been true for me to define myself for decades as a person whose primary character, primary characteristic is it's uh, diseased or uh, 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 unhealthy relationship with substance, with uh, fixing, with me- medicining, self-medicating, you know, self-medicating yeah. Is that true about me? Right. 
and, and is it who you still still are? are? Of course, you know, and we've talked about this. There's the the chemical component. It's like the genetic likelihood of being an alcoholic or or a addictive personality or whatever. You know, it comes to mind in people that listen to this podcast. I, this is one of the points I love to make is Ram Dass talks about people who quit smoking and then oh i love this quote i haven't you you know this one yeah i haven't smoked in three years 76 hours and blah, 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 blah. he's like these these are the people that die of not smoking right people he says people Ram become actually, addicted ahead. to being not addicted have you heard yeah have you heard him talk about uh i've heard the quote that you're talking about he talks about aa though in a yes. way that people get angry and walk out and it's about identity he's yes. talking about being an alcoholic and he's like look i know people don't agree with this but he's like i don't think you're an like i don't know i I can't represent him no i think that i can't remember what it was uh, unfortunately part of the unraveling of my connection to 12-step uh theology Mm. and that's truly what it is uh, in my opinion it's Mm -hmm. it's it's a theology uh is is ram das i think that ram das part part of it was ram das on you know peeling that little onion and i also think like a big part of it is my own growth as a person you know when i was when i was young in the in 12 step i was very i was as dogmatic a a religious person as you could ever wish to meet i was good at it and i was i had a irreverent spin on it but i believed i was a i was a straight up fundamentalist when Mm -hmm. it came to Mm -hmm. to 12 step stuff and it was really cool because I was very rhetorically effective, as you could imagine. I'm a, I was a nascent stand-up comedian getting ready to, to you know, using all of those skills to convince people to get sober. I helped a lot of people, I, and, I, and I am very grateful for that. I know that a lot of people are still sober that are grateful for that, too. But it also turned me into a person with a lot of judgment for people that didn't go down the path in the correct way. Mm-hmm. And I recognized that at a certain point in my development. And I was like, this judgment isn't u- useful to me anymore, and I need to confront it. And I need to get rid of it. Uh, I remember my best friend was dating a girl, and he didn't tell me he was dating her because he was afraid of what I would think. The one year rule? No, yeah, it was. It was. She was under a year, and he didn't tell me he was dating her. They were in a relationship. My best friend, and he kept it secret from me because he was afraid of what I would think. I used to be that way religiously. A friend of mine had an abortion, and they didn't tell me, and I I was very. I was hurt and it challenged me. I was like, yep. I don't want to be the friend you don't tell. Exactly. You had an abortion. And then I had to ask myself, why was I that person? Yeah. Oh, I see. Right. It's because I'm a, I am not a safe person to tell things like that. To. Right. I would have said that's okay, but it, you would have seen in my eyes that yeah. I was judging you. I was a person, I would check in with you constantly about your behavior. In AA especially. You know, yeah. It's like if you parked in a parking lot and it was like on your honor box and you didn't park, I would be like, you really, you really not going to pay? It's like, who... Why is that my business? <laughs> so I went to my one of my spiritual teachers who is, was my sponsor at the time. I got a new sponsor and a guy that had a very reverent view of 12-step of stuff. And he still to this day is somebody that I keep in very close counsel with. And I was like, I want to get rid of this judgment. I want to get rid of this, this feeling of judgment. And he's like, he asked me the question, what would it be like if you didn't ever comment on another person's behavior? And my first reaction was panic, which is a crazy idea. Why? Why would I care? That's not my job. But my first reaction was panic. And I, uh, I panicked. And then I started trying it. So at first, what would happen is I would, uh, I would comment on the person's behavior. And then I would, be like, uh, I would be like, I shouldn't have done that. Then what would happen is I would not comment on the person's behavior. But it would be like everything in me. Like It would be like a 
test, like, shut up, don't say anything, just keep it to yourself, even though that sucks what that person's doing. That fucking sucks what that person's doing. Then, that went on for a while, then it became, I didn't comment on a person's behavior. And you didn't think it. And I didn't think what they did was, and I didn't want to comment on their behavior, uh-huh. right? Then, oh Hundreds of podcast listeners think their phone is ringing right now. Oh, sorry. That's BW calling Brent Weinbach. So, the, so that's what happened. Did first, you just tell my story? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so first what happened is I would not comment, but I would want desperately to. Then I would not comment, but, but I wouldn't want to, but I would judge them. And then eventually came freedom, which is that I wouldn't comment and I wouldn't care. I wouldn't judge them. The judgment had gone away. Right. And somehow in that process of taking away all the dogma and the judgment of other people's behavior, I found that I also stopped caring about the ideas that I was judging people for, which were some of the theology within 12-step and eventually that became an onion that peeled and peeled until I couldn't find myself in 12-step uh, ideology anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't resonate. You lost your identity. I lost I, – I, I think of it very much as a crisis of faith. It's like mm-hmm. w- waking up one day and going, I don't believe in God anymore. What do I do? Well, and, that's very Ramdas. He's like, you don't want to be sober. You want to be free. You yeah. Don't, you don't want to be a Christian. You that's want to be exactly free. right. And, and it actually goes back to that fantasy we were having earlier about being in the clean air and the fresh water and just being like – Oh, there's nothing telling me to go anywhere. Right. That's a special kind of freedom. And the truth is, is you really are that free. And unfortunately, there's a lot of society and culture and normal. These are helpful things. But yeah. Shedding them is somewhat appealing. I still have taken with me a lot of the very useful parts of 12-step stuff, you know? when Three, I Three, five, nine. What's that? Those are the steps. Oh, yeah. Well, no. <laughs> honestly, I could say like nine is a good one. I would say the 12, the amends step. Yeah. One of the most powerful spiritual lessons in the amends process in AA is that it says that when you're thinking about the harms you've done to people, you ought to look only at your own part and leave out the other person's part entirely. Mm. So if you have hurt me terribly and I have hurt you minorly, the only job I have is to clean up the part that I can, which is the minor hurt that I've done to you. And right. I don't think about what you've done at all. Wow. And because the, 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 if you're looking for freedom... It might be true that what you did to me was way worse, but I'm not interested in justice. Right. I'm interested in freedom. All you, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. You're, you can only control your exactly. behavior. Yeah. That's been a big epiphany for me. It's so basic, but I've been thinking it lately. It's like, it's, this world is crazy. There's so many moving parts. All you have, it's very, it's kind of focusing. One thing All I, you have is you. Yeah. And one thing I have noticed over the years, I, I used to talk about this in the, the program a lot, and I still think about it a lot, is if I resent you, for, you know, being terrible to me and I was minorly mean to you and I find you and I tell you, hey, I was minorly mean to you. Every instinct in me is saying, you don't know this person apology. They hurt you. They hurt you. I used to say like, if I, if, but I can only change myself, right? I am no longer a victim. I've been victimized, but I'm no longer a victim. All I can do is change myself because if you are responsible for my unhappiness, and listen, I know that people have been traumatized on degrees that this is all intellectual. If you've been abused sexually or emotionally by your parents, it's not, it's not so simple is what I'm saying. I get right. that. But if I am waiting for you, if it's you who are responsible for my state of being, that means that I need you to come to me and make it right in order for me to be free. And you're never going to do that because you're an asshole. 
Mm. That's the that's the joke I used to make in AA. You know, you'll just never. You're, <laughs> I can't wait around for you to come. So all I can do if I go to you and I say, even though you, I don't say this part, but I'm thinking, even though this person hurt me ten times more than I hurt them, I out loud say, I apologize for this, the, the hurt that I did to you here, here, and here. I apologize for those things. I am, I was wrong to do that, and blah blah blah. Ninety nine percent of the time, I I will find that I no longer am angry at you for the hundred things that you did to me. Really, that's the 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 the. You know, the eject button on my resentment. Yeah, you're taking your tie out of it. Yes, exactly. That Again, it goes back to that peace at any cost thing. Right. There really is something to a transrational. It's not rational. Yeah. It would be rational that I apologize and you apologize and I feel better. Uh, right. It's transrational. I apologize. You don't apologize. I feel better. It's bringing milk to the hardware store. It's uh, Yeah, right. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, they say, would you rather be happy or right? That's a big thing in AA. Would, yeah. you, would you like to be happy or right? Yeah. And if the answer is happy, then, you know, here you are the things, things you do. go all the time. So I, I honor AA a lot and 12-step a lot. It's just not. I just I know uh, friends that stop drinking and then they start dabbling in the in the weed smoke. Yeah, yeah. There were people that um I, it's so sad I was just reading Harris's mother mm-hmm. wrote that wonderful article and stuff. And I remember there were a lot of people on the comment boards that were telling Harris like you should do weed, like you should do weed sober. Right. I, by the way, those, I'm not saying he should have. I'm just saying this is clearly a thing that people What those people don't understand is that sobriety is binary. Yeah. Back to binary. Well, I, it is, he didn't do it, and I right. Well, but it is so binary. It is that is a thing that I don't think people get. You need to be fundamentalist. About you it. must either be sober or not sober uh, in order to live within the dichotomy that that AA's version of sobriety tells you. Right, and it makes sense because if you are not sober, if you smoke weed, then there is not a boundary line that is it. keeping you from anything else. Right, and then. You've been sober 22 years like me. You start to go, well, maybe sober and not sober aren't even terms that are valuable to me. Maybe that's not what you need. Maybe I don't, maybe I don't resonate with that message but at it's all. It's interesting like, because like any fundamentalist religion, you're like, well, what about coffee? That's altering your state. What about a cigarette? That's altering your state. I would say things. just common sense. I've always thought common sense is the argument to both of those counter arguments. Right. But there you are, a good fundamentalist AA person. I, I, fundamentalist has such a negative connotation. Yeah, yeah. I just mean you really did it. Yeah, and in the same way, I have good, quick answers to a lot of. Uh huh. So you're saying even that was a function of my fundamentalism. Yeah, that for answer. sure. Yeah, that's as it should be. Yeah, right. Uh, which is more like, I don't know. I don't know how much we want to. And then you know, speaking of Harris, as I'm speaking to somebody who was addicted and had problems, like that's the part of me. I'm like, I, I don't want to just say like, go do whatever. I know. Play well, that, with fire. Like well, that's the we've thing. lost friends. It's yeah, that's the thing. Sad. Uh, that is the thing about 12-step and about sobriety that is it's a devil's bargain in this weird way. It's like, you know. What are you missing? Stress, yeah. Well, stress that's, relief? That's a great question that people ask that I think, and no offense, I think misses the entire point. Please help me. I think that people go, because that's a uh, internal logic too. Well, I'm happy. Why would I mess with that? And if that is true, if all it is is about I want to get fucked up. But if it is actually an existential question, who am I? Who am I? Right? If it's a Zoolander question. <laughs> but if it's an existential question, um, like, what is it? What does it say about me that I think of myself as diseased? Is it true that I am this in the same spiritual state of being that I was when I was a 15-year-old kid fresh out of rehab, fresh out of jail, right. who was violent to my parents, who was, you know, when it, I am I still that person? When I was 15, yes. 
It's it's a Joseph Campbell thing I think about all the time. I don't know if it applies, but it's never stop dying. It's this idea that you never stop dying to who you were mm-hmm. and resurrecting to who you've become. And maybe you're saying you you're you're dying to the idea of the classifications you were putting yourself on. That's right. And it's who- not about having more fun when you were in Rome. Right. Right. <laughs> Cuz I went to Rome and I thought, you know what, maybe here. And then I didn't I didn't. You yeah. know, every time I think about this is the the great practicality of the existential question should i or shouldn't i be sober is i have tons of friends who have asked themselves that question and they all have varying results may vary Mm. and they very much vary you mean there are people that go start drinking again and sometimes they're like it was great and sometimes it's not that's exactly right oh wow and every time i'm like you know what maybe then somebody else is like "Uh, did you hear (laughs) yeah so and so is blank you know well okay but these are this is the power of labels yeah. Moshe, I've never seen you have a problem. We were joking that you saw me at Meltdown and I was I was shit faced. Uh-huh. So like clearly <laughs> you could point a finger at me and be like, that's suspicious. But because you've told me you're an alcoholic and you say it's not about getting fucked up, every time you've said that on this podcast, I'm like, that doesn't seem honest. Uh-huh. That's interesting. It's just because you told me you're an alcoholic. I th- and I think about that. I, 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 I tell myself the same story. Yeah. This is not really honest. Like, really, I want to get just be able to get high. And part of that's true. Part of it yeah. is just like, it sounds cool. sounds fun. I'm 37 years old. I'm a grown man. I'm a married man. I don't see myself, you know, going crazy and losing losing it. I just don't. I don't think that will happen, actually. Yeah. But, um, but I also understand that there is inherent risk. And I also understand that I think about you all the time. Being shit-faced? Uh, yes. <laughs> in that I don't think you are an alcoholic or have a problem at all. And people like you... Are always going like, yeah, but I'm gonna, I'm trying to chill it out right now. I'm like, so if even the people that don't have extreme dysfunction, like the other people that we know in the comedy scene, is like that person is a fucking drunk, right? Even people who you think of like, oh, Pete's totally together, got a good life, got a good head on his shoulder, but likes to drink once in a while. Go, if even they are going, yeah, I'm gonna cut it out for like a few months. It's like, what am I going back to? Yeah, I'm already healthy and happy and whole. Yeah, that's why I ask, what are you missing? Yeah. Because I said to Valerie last night, like, I had some drinks last night, and I woke up today, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta stop. I, I said to Valerie no. last night, Jeffrey ah, Tambor is incredible. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> I started pre-laughing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's why I ask, what are you missing? Because I go, although, you know, we're such fucking chemists, I go, weed is what I want to quit way more uh-huh. than drinks. Because... You, you you talk about like my success or whatever. I'm like, oh, clearly I can function. Mm-hmm. Like the morning after drinking is not a problem for me. Yeah. The morning after smoking, I'll be like, uh, what? Foggy. You know, I'll be foggy. Well, I think of I, I think about this a lot. I think of us as like athletes. That's what I, I think of it too. And I don't think that alcohol and drugs adds to it, but it does add to a different thing. It doesn't add to sharpness, but it adds to uh, breadth. Does that make sense? Uh, help me. Breadth, yeah, not no, breath. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I'm breath. just saying, like you know, you take drugs and they give you, you can go into a cool area of your brain. Like, whoa, there's some cool shit happened well, over here. Duncan Trussell is the guy who I remember put an artistic spin on it, where he was like, "I'm here. I'm in." Oh, Joe DeRosa too. I don't yeah. think he'd mind me saying. And neither of these are big drug or drink people necessarily. It's just the idea that they're like, "I'm here. I'm an artist, and I'm going to report." It's like yeah. they work for Vice, right? I'm going to eat weed chocolate and go to blah, blah, blah. Right. Because that's a better story than not eating weed chocolate and not going to blah, blah. No, t- completely. And, and I, I get that, I guess. But I've also heard, you know, like Houston Smith, the guy that wrote um, the varieties of world, uh, the 
world's religions. You know, yeah. I remember a 90 year old man talk, wrote a book about his psychedelic use, and he's like, I remember it was so cool. It's like, I would say, in terms of my spiritually profound experiences, they are God, my family, and my use of psychedelic drugs. <laughs> and this was yeah. like an old man, and I was just thinking, yeah, yeah there's powerful medicine in psychedelics that I don't get to go to anymore because I wasted all of my attempts when I was fucking 12 years old. Right. Well, I was on acid all the time when I was fucking 13. It's like, what's... crazy. Well, I wasted all that profundity on... On an, youth. On youth, Well, yeah. that's what Ramdas says. You have to be somebody before you can be nobody. And right. those drugs make you nobody in a yeah. very beautiful way. But if you haven't built... An ego yet, you're just like, oh, you're floating in nothing and you kind of were already nothing. But I just want to take a, well, you know, a handful of mushrooms and have God float down and say, look over there. Yeah. There's a, it's, it's totally hidden camera. Uh, <laughs> very nice. Well, everybody knows I'm going to say this too. Bill W. was a big proponent for mushrooms. He, he did do well, acid. Yeah, he did do a lot of I acid. I thought it was mushrooms. I believe it was acid. Because the first time I did mushrooms, I didn't drink for a month. I didn't, uh-huh. I didn't not want to yeah no, no no i didn't try to stop i just didn't want to right i had a lot of epiphanies the first time i did mushrooms one of them was about food and i was like this is just information mm-hmm. that didn't stick but alcohol i was like i'm not looking for alcohol i'm looking for this feeling mm-hmm. which is why uh, I, I i've noticed that sake makes me feel like i'm on mushrooms I've been interesting sake lately all right yeah you heard it here first folks yeah. Pete is a sake head. <laughs> <laughs> he is hopelessly addicted to sake. Uh, and I'll heat up even a nice one. I just, uh, I just like warm things. Cool. That sounds nice. Get out of my Yeah, that sounds nice. Get out of my face. That's the other thing. People who don't like hot sake and they think it's cheap. That's the other thing is beyond <laughs> this spiritual existence. I don't want to overstate how important this quest is. Yeah. There's a small existentialism about like, I don't want to be a guy who can't get sake at sushi anymore. Yeah, I don't want that to be true about me. Well, you were. Di- I wish I had the Ramdas clip. I think I took a. Sometimes I'll do a screen grab when I'm listening to it. I want to see if I have it. I'll I'll text it to you. He talks about it. We're talking about how we see ourselves, how we labor ourselves, how how we think of ourselves. Label, not labor. Um, and it's an interesting thing. So yeah, I get it. But as for as far as right now, I am happy. I am sober. I'm not making any decisions. I'm just uh, living my life, loving my wife. Huh? Get, I, I getting ready for uh for to the go show. under the knife. Yeah, getting ready to go under the knife. I'm getting a I'm getting a nose job. I'm going to actually make my nose bigger because I think my race is ambiguous. <laughs> that's, that's for you, that's Pete. Racist. Uh, you're right. You would never say anything like that, and I apologize to my people. <laughs> well, let's get out of here. All right, that's so fun, man. This is the best. It's always the best to have you on. I'm so glad you could do it, and we'll do it again. Obviously, sweet. It's the greatest medium soup. Medium uh, suit. When does this bad boy come out? Well, what do we have? Well, we don't know. We, Whatever it is, you know, go to my website. Three weeks, maybe. Follow me. Follow, follow me, no. Follow me, no. Yeah, I got some stuff coming up, but you'll see it all. Yeah, Moshikoshi.net. Moshikoshi.com. <laughs> Moshikasher.com. Uh, thanks, buddy. Um, would you say keep it crispy? Oh, yeah. Keep it very crispy. No, just keep it. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you're very specific. Keep it so crispy. Is that right? No, that's fine. Keep it extra tasty crispy. Keep it. Keep it crispy, guys. Good job, Now leaving Nerdist.com.